Hello and welcome to the Two Guys Four Balls podcast. Welcome everyone to uh, the Two Guys Four Balls podcast. This is Julius. This time introducing us. Uh, I'm here with my man Patrick. We're going to roll right into what was a crazy week 12 of the NFL, uh, filled with a lot of surprises, a lot of interesting things, including Patrick's favorite thing, multiple two-point conversion attempts. So we'll, we'll get into all of that as we get underway. But we will start off in Detroit, a.k.a. Buffalo's home away from home, <laughs> where <laughs> for the second time in less than a week, the Buffalo Bills managed to go into Detroit. This time they actually beat the Lions, 28-25. This is this was a nice back and forth game. This was a great way to get Thanksgiving kicked off. I want to start out by saying that. However, this is another one of those things where if you're the Detroit Lions, if they were a good team, they find a way to get this game into overtime. You get the kick from Michael Badgley, who who missed the kick immediately after the commentator said, Oh, he hasn't missed the kick all year. Of course, you already know what's gonna happen, but Badgley bounces back. Hits a kick that's normally kind of out of his range. You got 23 seconds in a tie game. 23 seconds left in regulation, tie game. You got to get that game to overtime. You absolutely cannot. If by some chance you let some fluke happen to you to lose that game in regulation, it can't be Stephon Diggs. He has to be the focal point of whatever you're thinking about doing defensively. So how Diggs is wide open in the middle of the field with the game on the line, it's that that's the kind of thing that blows my mind. I don't know what happens to these defenses. I don't know what it's called. I don't know what these guys are doing. But to let that happen is just absolutely terrible. Uh, but the Bills, they get what they needed. They get the win. They move to eight and three. And, you know, they continue to show flaws, but they continue to find ways to kind of steal these games away. Uh, and so in this game, you have yet another interception in the red zone thrown by Josh Allen that has become a serious problem. That's Josh Allen's fifth red zone interception of the year. To put that in perspective, nobody in the NFL threw more than four interceptions in the red zone all of last year. So we're not used to seeing any quarterback throw this many red zone interceptions. And this doesn't even count another interception that Josh Allen threw from the 21 yard line that was intercepted in the end zone against Pittsburgh. So, Really, six interceptions in the red zone for Josh Allen. And you can get away with that against Detroit and some of these other teams that Buffalo's beating. When you did it against Minnesota, you saw the result. So Allen's got to get tighter with the football. I've talked about this, particularly uh, coming out of the bye for whatever reason. He's got to get tighter with the football. He's got to be much better for a player of his caliber, especially a guy with MVP aspirations going into the season. He has to be better in the red zone. So that is becoming a concern big time, and he's got to clean that up. Uh, but, if, but of course, you know, because you're the Lions, again, good teams do what? Find ways to lose games. They find ways to blow opportunities. The Lions get that red zone interception. You stop the drive, you think you're good to go, and you immediately give up a safety three plays later. Why? Because you're the Lions. And, and it's like, these are the kinds of things. You know, we want to see the Lions prosper. And we've seen the Lions have so many feisty losses this year, but it's, it's these kinds of things uh, that caused them to lose these games. 
Uh, on the bright side for Buffalo, you had Ed Oliver who really took this game over. Ed Oliver was the one who got the sack for the safety. Ed Oliver also had a forced fumble and fumble recovery in this game and a season-high six tackles. So uh, that's a good sign for the Bills, especially considering that Vaughn Miller got hurt in this game. And it's not to say that Ed Oliver is a one-for-one substitution for Vaughn Miller, played different positions. But if Vaughn Miller is going to be out, you're going to need a collective effort to step up from everybody on that defensive front. You're not going to place Von Miller with one guy. So you're going to need Ed Oliver to play to this level, and he can do it. Ed Oliver is a former very high draft pick, a former number one overall recruit coming out of high school. Like, this guy can, can play. So you're not asking too much to say, Ed Oliver, we need more of these performances going forward. And if you can do it against the Detroit Lions offensive line, you ought to be able to do it semi-consistently so let's see more of this uh from ed oliver moving forward a concerning trend another concerning trend for buffalo along with the allen interceptions in the, in the red zone is they can't stop anybody's number one receiver amon ross st brown had 122 yards and a touchdown in this game 122 yards a season high for amon ross brown now the last three games for buffalo they've given up again 122 yards and a touchdown to st brown last week they gave up 113 yards and two touchdowns to Mr. Hot and Cold, Amari Cooper. And the week before that was the Justin Jefferson, 193 yards, one touchdown, and one snatch ball with one hand out of a defender's hands. So, again, you're seeing problems on both sides of the ball for the Bills. And, again, this is supposed to be a Super Bowl-caliber team, and this is what we're seeing against a team like the Lions. Now, you lose Christian Benford, who has been – a pleasant surprise as a rookie in that Buffalo secondary. So it's another injury to this uh, Bills secondary. They need Tredavious White to get back to form in a hurry. They need Xavier Rhodes, who's been forgotten for, for good reason. They need him to get healthy and get back and become a critical piece because they can't cover anybody right now. Uh, so, again, the Bills get the win. The Lions find a way to lose this game. But if you're the Bills, you feel like you have a lot of things to clean up. You got to go into Foxborough next week. You should, should beat that team. But as a team, as a place that we know the Bills have had their struggles over the years for one reason or another. And you're not going to go into Foxborough and beat a Belichick defense playing like this. So Buffalo's got a lot to tighten up. They can do it, but they need to do it in a hurry. Yeah, and a game that was a lot closer than I think a lot of people thought it would be. Um, the Bills could have easily have lost this game. Um, they didn't. They found a way to win. As we say, I feel like every week on this podcast, bad teams find ways to lose. Good teams find ways to win. Um, <clears throat> blowing the whistle on Dan Campbell uh, or the offensive coordinator, whoever was making the calls here, uh, you touched on it. They, they got the stop in the red zone on the pick and then immediately get a safety. Uh, not immediately, but you know what I'm saying. But they did three straight dropbacks with Jared Goff when Jamal Williams, DeAndre Swift, you have good running backs. You have guys who can get you one or two tough yards. Why not try and run it twice, maybe pick up two or three yards a carry, then maybe have a third and three, third and four, slant route, curl route, comeback route, out route, anything. Besides, let's drop it back three straight times with Jared Goff. Um, and Jared Goff has had a good year for, for Jared Goff. I mean, I, I don't dislike Jared Goff. He's, I think, outperformed my expectations of Jared Goff. But, again, it's Jared Goff. The Rams got rid of him to win a Super Bowl, and then they won a Super Bowl. So, um, you know, I just don't understand 
the thought process with the play calling there. Um, I talk about this, I feel like, every week besides maybe one or two weeks this year. Josh Allen, once again, taking unnecessary hits, uh, being the leading running back for the Bills, and it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. Y'all got rid of Zach Moss so you could have Cook running behind Singletary. Singletary has looked good when you've given him an opportunity. Every time Singletary's had 10-plus carries, 15-plus carries in a game, he's getting you four or five yards an average, so I just don't understand... I just don't understand the thought process. Maybe maybe I I don't know. Maybe I'm not in practice with the Bills. Maybe I don't understand, but I'm just not understanding the thought process here for the Bills um and and why they don't use their running backs and and you know, I know that the head coach for the Bills was the offensive coordinator with Cam Newton and the Panthers and maybe that has a little bit to do with it, but I'm just very perplexed by the play calling sometimes and and the the running schemes that the Bills do. Not saying that Josh Allen's not a good runner or that he can't run the ball, but you know, I don't understand why you want to give your quarterback unnecessary hits. It just doesn't make sense to me, especially if your long-term goal is is playoffs, you know, long like success in the playoffs, Super Bowl. Um just seems unnecessary for me, especially when he has a UCL injury. Uh, again, Buffalo escapes with the win, though. Uh, Big-time matchup in Foxborough this next week, though. Um, New England's the only team that lost in that division this week. And so the AFC East, and they're going to be hungry for a win. And it's a game they could have won. They could have easily beaten Minnesota. They didn't, but they could have. So Mac Jones had his best game of the year, and we'll talk about that coming up. But uh, Buffalo needs to make sure that they're firing on all cylinders, or, or that could be another loss within the division. And they're 0-2 in the division so far, so they need to get a win badly. All right, moving on to the second Thanksgiving game, the New York Giants at the Dallas Cowboys. And the, the Giants lost, and in um weird stat of the season, the Giants are 7-4, and and Julius's Raiders are 4-7. and Every time the Giants lose, the Raiders have won. And every time the Raiders have lost, the Giants have won. So I let, I let Julius know uh, as, soon as, as soon as the Giants lost, I said, well, I guess the Raiders are going to win this week. Um, <laughs> but uh, in a game that I felt like the Giants could have easily won, uh, their first half, if they had an offense, this could have been a 30-3 to game, 30-10 to game. Uh, but... Because the Giants' defense shut down the Dallas Cowboys' offense in the first half. But the Giants' offense didn't do anything to capitalize on the stops that their defense made. Uh, Dak Prescott has two picks. Um, They were pretty much stopping everything. They gave up a field goal. But Giants couldn't capitalize. And and that's been the case all season. Uh, The Giants are starting to look like how I thought they were going to look this year. I thought they'd be the 4-7 and team, not the 7-4 and team. But now that they've given me false hope and and want to win games and stuff, now I expect them to compete with some of the better teams, and they did. Uh, Dallas only won 28-20. The game was kind of more out of hand than the 28-20 score. Uh, Once the second half started, Dak Prescott got going and the Cowboys got going. But this is just one of those games where I know the Giants aren't a good team. We have a lot of injuries now, too. We had no one in the secondary playing. Um, Some of our linebackers are hurt. We have no wide receivers. I hope Odell comes, but I don't think that will happen. I don't think he probably thinks he can win a Super Bowl 
um, with the Giants, so he's probably not coming to us. Unless he's looking for a multi-year deal, because hey, throw the throw the bag at him. Because if the Giants have no one, so they need a wide receiver. Um, I like Darius Slayton. Don't get me wrong; I really like Darius Slayton, but he's not a number one, and he is our number one right now. So, uh, and and Saquon, you can tell, looks tired. He he looks like he's starting. The carries are starting to catch up to him. They're not calling the Daniel Jones runs anymore. He didn't even have any like bootlegs or anything in this game that you've been accustomed to seeing. Um, you know, just just things that the offense just looked. They came out and threw like six times to, to start the game, which was just weird, and it kind of was effective, but wasn't. So you know, it's just just a very weird day for the offense. Um, and, you know, Dallas came out and won. Again, the Dallas didn't look great, but um, it, I, I just expect more of the Giants. You know, I blame this solely on the offense. I felt like the defense did enough to win the game, and the offense just didn't capitalize in that first half. We could have really put the pressure on Dallas, really had that stadium quiet if we could have capitalized more in the first half, and, and, and we didn't. So, uh, Commanders next week, I need to see something out of my team. The Commanders... Are not a good team, but they're seven and five. So, I, I there's going to be two bad teams that are overperforming, uh, and who's going to win? So I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Obviously, I would love for the Giants to win, but at this point, it's going to be two quarterbacks that are somehow getting W's under their name, but shouldn't be. So, hopefully, it's the Giants, but I could see it going either way. Yeah, this is one of those things. One of those games where. If you are the Cowboys, you saw a lot of encouraging things. And if you're the Giants, not so much. Uh, For the Cowboys, the number one encouraging thing to me has to be the fact that this was the best Ezekiel Elliott looked all season. And particularly to see that performance coming on a short week uh, was uh, surprising to see. But it had to be refreshing to see. If you're a Cowboys fan, again, that's your guy. If you're a Cowboys fan, as great as Tony Pollard has been this year, Ezekiel Elliott's the one that uh, you're – loyalty is too so to see him go out there have a season high 92 yards rushing and really just look more spry i mean hitting the holes harder uh hitting the holes with more more confidence more burst and even his attitude he's he's been like kind of subdued on the field for most of the year but in this game he's kind of back to the, the feed me zeke so uh just a different overall persona coming from ezekiel elliott in this game and i felt like once he got established and got rolling. That's when the, the Cowboys offense finally started to find a stride in this game. Uh, like Patrick said, a bit of a slow start for the Cowboys. Uh, Dak Prescott that's, he had his uh, second game with multiple interceptions in the last three weeks. That matches the total number of games he had with multiple interceptions from all, all of last year. So Prescott, you know, just like I said about Josh Allen earlier, Prescott's got to clean up. Uh, those mistakes and some of those, you know, you might look at it and say, well, did the guy run the right route? Uh, did a guy stop too early on a route? Things of that nature. But there's still throws into windows that are too tight uh, as far as I'm concerned. So even if the receiver did everything right, you're still trying to make a more difficult throw than you have to. Uh, so Prescott has room for improvement for sure. I'm sure he would say that. Uh, but once again, once Elliott got going, this Cowboys offense seemed to get going. Uh, C.D. Lamb made multiple tough contested catches in this game. He certainly took advantage of the fact that he was going up against a depleted secondary. Uh, He was letting them know (laughs) that you're too small, you can't guard me, all that stuff. So the Cowboys were rolling in with all kinds of confidence, all kinds of swagger. And then they threw a tight end party. 
<laughs> as far as the Cowboys offense went. Dalton Schultz comes out there and catches a couple of touchdowns. Peyton Hendershot runs in for a touchdown. Uh, Jake Ferguson jumped over a defender for a big play. Uh, each one of the Cowboys tight ends out of, out of their main three uh, had their moment in this game. And of course they all had their collective moment when they had the whack-a-mole celebration. So uh, they did earn that celebration with uh, how each one of them was able to get something done against that Giants defense. I am blowing the whistle because there's one thing I need to see a little more consistency on. Earlier in the season, a few weeks ago, we saw A.J. Brown get a penalty for pointing at two defenders that he caught the ball over for a touchdown. A couple weeks later, we see DeAndre Hopkins get a penalty for pointing at two players he caught the ball over. On one of the Dalton Schultz touchdowns, he pointed at the guy he caught the ball over. No, No penalty. Now, I need a clarification here. Is there a one-point limit? Is like, is it not a penalty if you point at one guy to catch the ball over, but you can't point at two guys? Why was it not a flag on Dalton Schultz when we've seen guys point at players multiple times this year, and it's been a flag every time? I just need answers. I don't want to make assumptions on what that's about, but I need some answers, refs. So, yeah, that's one thing that I need addressed sooner rather than later, hopefully. You know what it's about, um, As for the Giants. You know what yeah, it's yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as for the Giants uh, a second half struggle in particular uh, essentially the Giants were shut out in the second half they scored right at the end uh, to make the game a little interesting for the last 10 seconds or so but other than that uh, nothing from this offense uh, Saquon Barkley is second straight week under 40 yards rushing uh, Patrick alluded to the fact that he, he might be wearing down might be getting a little tired He's had to really carry this offense, literally. And, uh, you know, it might be catching up to him, especially for a guy who has not gone through a whole season in a while. So his, his body's not used to this kind of workload for this much of an extended period of time. So I don't know if Barkley's going to get his legs back. We'll see. Uh, again, they have the commanders next week. It's not impossible to run on that defense, but, you know, it's not going to be an easy challenge. So uh, we'll see if he can get going. If not, you see what the results are for the Giants offense. Uh, Darius Slayton did make some nice plays in this game. Uh, he did have a nice uh, contested catch to go over the top of Anthony Brown, uh, Dallas fans' favorite corner. And this was the uh, fourth straight game where Slayton has been over 60 yards receiving. Now, that might not seem like an overly impressive number, but in this offense where it's a struggle to hit 200 yards passing every week, getting 60 yards every week is pretty darn consistent for this team. And Slayton is doing that while He's, he's had no games during that stretch where he's had over six targets. So on very limited targets and a very limited passing offense, he's getting you consistently 60 yards. Again, that doesn't prove he's a number one receiver, but that goes a long way for somebody who was apparently on the roster bubble at one point to elevate and really be the most consistent threat in a passing attack that has lost everybody to, to trades, injuries, or just complete <laughs> lack of desire, whatever you want to say. But, uh, you know, that, that's the one thing that's, that's good for the Giants. But even if Slayton can be this guy the rest of the season, you still need more than, again, maybe a tiring Saquon Barkley and Darius Slayton leading the way. So they, they're going to have to figure something out with the Giants. As for the Cowboys, uh, they just got to continue, especially what they did in the second half of this game. If they keep up with that formula, then, uh, hey, who knows what's going to happen with this team. The Cowboys, I don't, I don't want to jinx it to say anything crazy. But the Cowboys do look good right now. Next, we'll get into the Minnesota Vikings and 
primetime Kirk Cousins getting the win. 33-26 over the New England Patriots. This game surprised me. And it's not even so much that Minnesota won this game, because I thought this was kind of a toss-up game. I thought New England looked better going into this game, that's for sure. But the way this game played out surprised me. I, I did not expect to see a shootout here. I don't know what the over-under for this game was, but I probably would have leaned under uh, without knowing the numbers. So to see this game turn into uh, something of a shootout, to see both quarterbacks, both McCorkle and Kirkio, for them both to come out, and play the way they did. I just was not prepared to see that. So uh, this game was uh, surprisingly pleasant to watch, surprisingly entertaining. And it's interesting because, you know, over the years, regardless of who's been the quarterback in New England, the main thing people have always said about Bill Belichick is whatever you do best on offense, we are going to take it away. That's always been the New England deal on defense. And when you look at this game, Dalvin Cook didn't get going, going on the ground. Uh, TJ Hawkinson and Adam Thielen both caught touchdown passes, but neither one of them was making a whole lot of big plays in this game. You know what the deal is with Minnesota's offense. You know who Kirk Cousins is looking for every single time he drops back. In the two games that the Vikings have lost this year, they've been the only two games where teams have slowed Justin Jefferson down. So I expected New England to throw the kitchen sink at Justin Jefferson and make somebody else beat them. And that didn't happen at all in this game. They seem to be comfortable letting Jonathan Jones, who did get an interception in this game, credit to him for that, but they seem to be comfortable just kind of letting him take on Justin Jefferson by himself with like late help over the top from Devin McCourty. And it just was not working, and I never saw an adjustment from New England. So it was a very un-Belichick-like performance from this defense to really let one guy, the guy who you know is going to be the key guy from Minnesota's offense, to let him go in and essentially do whatever he wants. I, I was That was the thing that surprised me the most. I thought of anything else, I thought of anything, uh, New England would get beat by, like I said, Dalvin Cook or TJ Hawkinson, one of the other guys. Uh, but that did not happen. Justin Jefferson went out and had a great game in this one. And uh, the other surprising part was we just saw this Minnesota offensive line get destroyed by Dallas just a few days before Thanksgiving. We saw this Minnesota offensive line not look nearly the same without Christian Derisaw after he got concussed in the Cowboys game. And so you knew Derisaw wasn't going to play in this game. And my thought was, watch out. Here comes Matthew Judon. Here comes the NFL's leading sack, uh, leading sacks guy. Here comes one of the best defenses in the NFL. And the New England pass rush was pretty much neutralized. I mean, Josh Uche got through one time, but other than that, uh, this pass rush didn't do anything. And uh, that's something that surprised me. Uh, Matthew Judon had no impact on this game. I saw him going into coverage more often than I'd like to see. But uh, no, just nothing came from the New England defensively in this game. And it was just uh, shocking to me. Uh, of course, you have to mention Kane Wongwu. Uh, talk about Special teams being an important part of the game, part of the game that you can't forget. Uh, Wong Wu, when the Vikings really could use it, ran the kickoff back for a touchdown in this game, and lo and behold, look what the Vikings won by. Uh, so you need those kind of plays on special teams, especially when you're going to beat good teams. Uh, they came through for the Vikings in a big way there. When you look at New England, McCorkle had a really good game, despite the fact that pieces around him were falling apart. Jacoby Myers, who's been the go-to guy in the passing game for most of the season, gets hurt on the first play of the game. 
Uh, he's able to crawl his way back into the game, but he had very limited usage. He was only used in certain situations in this game. So you lose your go-to guy, essentially. He was able to make a couple more catches after he got hurt, but he was not a part of most of this game. Uh, you lose Damian Harris, and Harris was fresh off of one of his best game of the, games of the season, and his injury didn't look too promising. Uh, so you lose him. Uh, Nelson Aguilar got hurt late in this game, but you're losing a lot of guys around you, and yet McCorkle Jones, to me, had his best game of the season. Uh, again, I just I was surprised to see that, even if he had all his pieces, but I have to give him his credit for sticking it through, even when guys started going down around him. Uh, that's a concern if you're the Vikings. Because you're the Vikings. You came into this game with uh, a major deficit at the cornerback position. You have Cameron Dansler on the injured reserve. You've got Andrew Booth Jr. and a Caleb Evans, two guys that you drafted this year because you knew you needed corner help. Neither one of them's available. So you're back to having to count on the remains of Patrick Peterson and whoever you can find at the cornerback position. They can't stop New England's passing offense. So, again, it's just not a good sign for the Vikings moving forward. Who can you stop if you can't stop New England's passing offense? And, um, yeah, so, so there's a big concern there for Minnesota moving forward. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know what they're going to be able to do to address that. They're going to have to go and face the Jets, which means you're going to have to face you know, maybe who knows what at quarterback. We know who it's going to be, but you don't know what you're going to get from them. But you have to face pretty good receivers. And so better than what New England brings to the table at receivers. So you're Minnesota. I don't know what you do in this situation. I'm not aware of them signing anybody or anything like that. Not that there's much out there. But uh, if you're the Vikings, again, like I said about the Bills, you're concerned. You're happy to win, but you're concerned with how your defense looked in a game where everything was built for them to look better than they did. Yeah, this game, um, definitely did not see it being a shootout. I'm with Julius that, that whoever had the over definitely definitely won this one. There's no way it was what was happening. Uh, I would say that Mac Jones might have had the best game of his career uh, in this game. Um, not just off the the yards, but what Julius said with um, a lot of the weapons going down, and he was spreading the ball around. Um, you know, he was hitting tight ends. Hunter Henry had a pretty big game. Um, you know, he was he was Nelson Aguilar had a big game. He almost made an amazing catch that would have helped them potentially win this game. Uh, just a little out of his reach, though. Um, I will say, you know, Minnesota gets another W, and they just keep rolling along, and they're going to win their division and make the playoffs and all that. But I do not have faith in Minnesota. Um, not only because of Kirk Cousins, but um, this defense. It New England is not a powerhouse offense by any means. No one's sitting here like, man, we're scared of New England's offense. And when you think of New England, you think of the defense, which got torched in this game by Justin Jefferson, as Julius uh, alluded to and talked about, uh, which which is weird because, again, Bill Belichick is known for, all right, what's the thing you do best? We're going to stop that. And the thing the Vikings do best is, give it to Justin Jefferson or try to get to Justin Jefferson. And again, the games that they lost the Eagles game, um, you know, he was non-existent and it was just a bad game. So it is weird that, and Matthew Judon wasn't, you know, who's was, was leading the league in sacks. I don't know if he still is. Um, wasn't really heard of. It was just a weird defensive strategy. And I know Dalvin cook can be scary. I know he can get off, but you don't really hear much of Dalvin Cook getting off as much as you hear Justin Jefferson going off. So it was just a weird, interesting strategy that the defense went with to try and stop the run game more than stop it. And again, 
you can stop Justin Jefferson, um, but you know I think it, it's it's a multi-team approach, so you know multiplayer approach. So it was just interesting that this was the approach that they went with, like Julius talked about. Um, New England has a must-win, as we talked about in the Bills game. They got a must-win coming up. Uh, they cannot they cannot lose to the Bills. I think that would kind of be the end of their season. Again, I don't want to say that in Week 13, but um, it definitely will not be easy if if they if they lose to the Patriots. It will definitely be much much harder uh, moving forward for them if they lose to the Patriots. Um, yeah, so you know, the Vikings offense looked fine, but the Vikings defense is is is, is not good. Um, you can't give up that many yards and, and points to, to New England. Um, and and like Julius talked about, New England lost a lot of their key playmakers. It's not like they they were losing practice squad players or, or special teams guys. They and then New England special teams gave up a touchdown. So you know it's just. It was a tough loss for New England. Very uncharacteristic of a Bill Belichick team. Um, yeah, but Minnesota, shockingly eight and two. Uh, I mean nine and two, and and just moving forward. And you know, Packers lost, so they are literally just going to keep rolling along here. And then Detroit lost, and Chicago lost. So Vikings just rolling along to the W at and in the NFC North. So. I don't see them losing that division. They should get a playoff game, and, and we'll see who they match up with uh, once the playoffs start. Next game we're going to talk about is Tampa Bay at the Cleveland Browns um, in a game where I had a nice nine-leg parlay about to hit, and all I needed was Mike Evans to get 45 yards receiving, and he couldn't even do that. Thanks a lot, Tom Brady, slash pass interferences on Mike Evans and everyone fouling him all the time. Um no, in a game that I don't think anyone saw coming, even though Tampa Bay has not beaten a single AFC opponent this year, um, and they haven't played good ones. They played the Steelers, and they lost to them. So, And they've been losing the bad AFC teams. Um, another, another, you know, rough outing for, for Tom Brady. Um, he leads the league in attempts again, but he does not lead the league in yards. Um Chris Godwin, my guy, looked real good on this day. Had 110 yards receiving. Was making contested catches. Good, just you know, with bad weather and, and bad passing from Tom Brady. Like Godwin was showing out in this game. Um, the Fournette injury definitely taking its toll. Even though Rashad White had a decent game, um, but Fournette and just setting the tone for this offense. Like this offense looked a lot better when Fournette was going early in the season versus let's have. 90-year-old Tom Brady drop back and throw it 40 times a game. Like, I just don't understand the, the thought process either with Tampa Bay here. Um, I know there's a lot of injuries on the offensive line. I know there's a lot of injuries on, on offense. But guess what? Every team has injuries at this point in, in the season. Um, and it was the Browns. Um, in a game that kind of looked in control by Tampa Bay all day, I got to give a shout-out to David Njoku. That was a great yes. catch. Yes. We talked about Cole Komet last week and his one-handed catch because he got <laughs> destroyed in the ribs. This is up there not because of him getting hit, but because of the situation. Absolutely. Fourth and Absolutely. fourth and ten, um, thirty seconds, you know, left in the game, and and you do that to to go into overtime. Well, <laughs> to have an extra point to go into overtime, like it's just, it was impressive. It it was a really really good catch. Um, 
And shout out to Jacoby Brissett for beating his quote-unquote mentor, right? And if people don't know, he was the backup to Tom Brady in New England after they shipped off Jimmy G. Um, so, you know, shout out to Brissett for, for getting a W, and his post-game conference was pretty funny. Uh, he gave a little yeah. gave a little uh, nod to Tom Brady. So, you know, that, that that's pretty, pretty, pretty funny. Um, the biggest news, I guess, for Cleveland is, is Deshaun Watson being activated and coming back. Uh, so we'll see what this offense looks like, and good, good for Brissett going out on top, getting a W, and what he knew was his last start of the season, and barring an injury to Watson, um, probably his last start in a Browns uniform. So you know, shout out to him getting a W, and the team looked like they played hard for him. And Nick Chubb had another Nick Chubb game, uh, 116 yards on the ground, just grinding out runs. He is by far one of the best running backs in the league, and I feel like he's very underrated in the media and very underrated uh, by just other individuals because like I said, I was picking up in the third round of a lot of fancy drafts. So um, shout out to the Browns getting a W. They keep their playoff hopes alive because the AFC wild card and the bottom of the AFC is actually not very good. So they could, if they go on a run, uh, potentially get that last wild card spot. Um, I only say that because the Colts are in the hunt at four, six and one. So uh, it feels like everybody's in the hunt if, if they're in the hunt. Right. So, um, bad loss for Tampa. Nobody in the NFC South wants to win that division. So we'll see. We'll see what happens moving forward. A couple of weeks ago, Tampa Bay finally got to 500, and it looked like they're hitting their stride and they're going into the bye week. And we know that this team, with some of the older players like Tom Brady on this team, could use an extra week of rest. And you're thinking everything is going the way it's supposed to for the Buccaneers now. The rest of the division's falling back. You're going against Cleveland coming out of a bye. And, and you get this result. So this would surprise me just because, you know, you keep waiting for the Buccaneers to be something that they, for the most part, haven't shown you this year. Because of the names and because of the expectations going into the season. And you see glimpses of it here and there, but it just doesn't consistently stick. This is the type of game that you just don't expect the Bucks to lose. And, you know, they had this in a bag. And like Patrick said, David and Joku, I, mean, I would say the Cole Komet catch was more difficult just in a vacuum. But when you consider, like you said, what was on the line, if, if, if he doesn't make that catch, the Browns lose. Like <laughs> there's, there's no if and or but about it. And for him to come up and, and it's not like it was one of those, because sometimes you see guys go up with one hand. You're like, yeah, you really have to do that. David Njoku had to. So to go with the left hand and pull that one down with the game on the line, literally, uh, that that's amazing. But again, at the same time, that's something that you don't expect a good team to give up in that situation. So that was disappointing to see. Uh, then you get to overtime. And of course, it was Amari Cooper who made the big play in overtime. And Cooper, well, this wasn't one of his sharpest games. And, you know, I mentioned it. Uh, a little earlier in this podcast, we know Cooper is, is Mr. Up and Down, Mr. Hot and Cold. Uh, this game, he had his share of cold moments, but he came up big on that one. Carlton Davis III slips on the play and, and actually tries to take Cooper down, tries to commit an intentional holding foul and just couldn't. And so that left Cooper wide open, and Cooper it came up with the catch. So give him credit for bouncing back after a rough day. Uh, Miles Garrett deserves a lot of credit for this game. He came up with crucial sacks in pass rush situations uh, at the end of the fourth quarter and in overtime. So with the game on the line, 
Miles Garrett was at his best at the time Stars are supposed to be their best. Uh, so you, you got to like that. Uh, Patrick talked about Nick Chubb and how he, he just did Nick Chubb things in this game. He bounced back after having an off week last week. Tampa Bay, one of the things I talked about when they started looking better the last couple of weeks is they were figuring out how to stop the run. And in this game, they took a step backwards. All of a sudden, they're back to getting gashed. All of a sudden, they're back to uh, losing at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And then these were the things that were, were putting them in the position they were in a few weeks ago when uh, they were well under 500. So uh, you don't like to see the Buccaneers regress there. I mean, if, and if you're going to regress against the run, Cleveland's not the team to do that against because they'll certainly take advantage. Um, offensively for the Buccaneers, uh, Chris Godwin, I talked about him a couple weeks ago, how he, he looked better his last game before the bye. He said he feels better, and he certainly came out this game and looked like the Chris Godwin we saw before all, all the injuries. So uh, that's a good sign. There's one good sign going forward for the Buccaneers. It's Chris Godwin looks like the Chris Godwin we've come to know over the last few years. Mike Evans, on the other hand, he had a rough time. Uh, two, catch, two catches on nine targets. Uh, unfortunately for Patrick Sparlay, he had the opportunities, but uh, a lot of the Evans throws were deep passes, and Brady was not connecting on those deep passes at all. They continued to try to attack Martin Emerson Jr. one-on-one -on -one down the sidelines, and Evans just wasn't creating much separation. So there wasn't um, great places to throw the football, but uh, Tom Brady failed to even give Evans a 50-50 opportunity to come up with catches over top of Emerson. So credit to Emerson for his coverage, but Brady certainly did not look sharp in this game uh, throwing the ball deep. Uh, Tristan Wirfs gets hurt in this game. That's terrible, terrible news for the Buccaneers. You, you just can't lose a right tackle that good, uh, especially when you were struggling this much with them. I don't like the fact that I'm tempted to even blow the whistle on the Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa pass rush on that play. Why are we trying to leap over top of people? It's him jumping into the air that got Tristan Wirfs injured because he got slammed down into Wirfs' leg. And I'm like, okay, why are we going kamikaze on a blitz? So I, I didn't like that from – I like the play. I like Owusu Koromoa a lot, but I did not like that moment from him. Uh, back to the Browns for a second. Another missed field goal from Cade York. This one inside of 40 yards. I feel like I have to talk about Cade York every week. He's missed either a field goal or an extra point in seven of 11 games this year. So, I mean, this is the kicker that you took in the fourth round. That is high for a kicker. And, uh, you know, I said uh, when he missed his last kicks, a lot of these kickers that get taken high or get drafted at all, they don't figure it out with the first team for whatever reason. So this, this might be a situation where you look up uh, two or three years from now and Cade York is kicking beautifully somewhere else. Uh, but it's just not coming together uh, so far for him in Cleveland. But uh, yeah, back to the Buccaneers, you, you got you to gotta feel concern on the one hand. But on the other hand, you're still, you're still in the driver's seat in this sorry division. No, Nobody wants this division. And if you're the Buccaneers, you, you play the Saints next week and you've got the opportunity to take that Saints team that couldn't, that literally couldn't score just, just, just yesterday and you get the opportunity to put them away. So uh, as bad as Tampa Bay has to feel about how their team looks, it feels like they're going to get like a waiver into the postseason this year. Uh, and the last thing I'll say, <laughs> the NFL is so shrewd. I mean, they, they don't miss a detail. They knew exactly when the Deshaun, Deshaun Watson suspension was going to end. So to schedule it so that 
The last start for Jacoby Brissett is against his mentor in Tom Brady. And then the next week, Watson's first start is against his old team in Houston. I see what you're doing, NFL. You might not care about player safety, but you certainly care about storylines and the schedule. I see what you're doing. All right, next we will get into the Cincinnati Bengals who knock off the Tennessee Titans 20-16. to For me, for someone who picked the Bengals to be AFC North champions, to pick them to be a legitimate playoff contender, not so much a playoff favorite necessarily, but a playoff contender for sure. This is the kind of win you want to see. We've seen this offense for Cincinnati go off against lesser defenses, beat lesser teams, especially at home. But can you go on the road and grind out a win when it's not everything going pretty for your offense? Can you figure out a way to win a game on the road against a good team without your top receiver in Jamar Chase and without your top running back in Joe Mixon? This win for Cincinnati, for somebody who was high on Cincinnati going into the season, this win makes me feel better about them than any win they've had this season because they've shown early in the season they can win pretty. But in the playoffs, sometimes you got to win ugly. And they did that in this game. And they didn't win necessarily ugly, ugly. It's not like they couldn't move the ball or anything like that. But they proved that they can win on a day where they don't score 35 points. They can win on a day where Joe Burrow doesn't throw for 400 yards. When, when they've really got to grind things out. So uh, this was an encouraging win for sure for the Bengals. Uh, T. Higgins has stepped in beautifully uh, in case anyone forgot, because it's, it's easy in this offense when Jamar Chase is healthy to forget how good T. Higgins is. And this offense and Joe Burrow has the luxury of having two legitimate number one receivers. When you have other offenses scrambling for one, we talked about a team like the Giants earlier. They, they would love to have T. Higgins. But they have this offense... T. Higgins, one of the few offenses in the league, T. Higgins would be a number two. Um, and the reason that's a luxury is because when you lose a guy like Jamar Chase, bam, you got somebody else that can come right in and fill that role. Uh, Higgins has some nice catches in this game, multiple catches in contested catch situations. Um, and Joe Burrow does a great job. I've talked about this before. In those contested catch situations, he puts the ball in the right spot. Uh, to turn a 50-50 ball into more like a 60-40 ball. And that, that's something that gets a little overlooked with Joe Burrow's game. So overall, this is what you wanted to see if you're Cincinnati. And uh, Trent Irwin on the uh, eventual game-winning drive had a nice catch on the sidelines, a nice uh, back shoulder catch on the sidelines. And again, a couple weeks ago, I'm like, Trent Irwin, who, who is this? But this is two weeks in a row where he's had positive contribution to this offense. And now when Jamar Chase gets back healthy and supposedly he's nearing a return, if you have Chase, Higgins, and we've talked early on this show, uh, not this episode, but early in the season, we've talked about Tyler Boyd and how he's better than most teams number three. If you've got Trent Irwin doing this and he's your fourth wide receiver, then it becomes an embarrassment of riches for Joe Burrow. Uh, and even with uh, Samaj P. Ryan filling in for Joe Mixon, especially in the passing game the last couple of weeks, uh, P. Ryan takes a lot of pressure off just by being able to catch screen passes and taking them upfield, running tough in those uh, run-after-catch type of situations. So uh, this offense for Cincinnati, you don't expect it to look quite the same without uh, a couple of their star players, but it still looked good enough. And again, you appreciate the fact that they can find a way to win on the road. If you're the Titans, you're disappointed because 
at the end of this game, you had an opportunity to, I don't want to say let them have a field goal, but you wanted that field goal to count if you're the Titans because that last field goal puts you down seven with an opportunity to get the ball back. Uh, you commit a penalty. That's it's one of those, you know, soft new rule kind of penalties. You can't really touch the center or the long snapper on a field goal attempt. So that, that's a frustrating way to have to lose a game. But again, showing that impact of special teams. You needed not just the defense to make a stop there. You needed the special teams to not commit a penalty to keep the game alive. And that didn't happen. So to the Titans, you, you got to feel like you blew this one for sure. Um I'm starting to get just a, just a tad bit concerned about Derrick Henry. I talked for weeks and weeks earlier in the season when Derrick Henry every game was getting 25 touches, 28 touches, 33 touches. I kept saying, how long can even Derrick Henry, as superhuman as he seems to be sometimes, how long can he keep up that type of workload and that type of effectiveness? In Henry's last three games, he's only averaging 2.8 yards a carry. And we know that's not Derrick Henry-like. So could it be a three-game slump? Maybe. But it's cert certainly something worth keeping an eye on moving forward. Now, of course, Henry did have the long uh, catch and run on a dump-off that almost went for a touchdown. Henry fumbles at the end of that play because when you watch Derrick Henry run, he only runs with the ball in his left hand. I, I really wish. That's one thing that I will criticize Henry about. Put two hands on the ball or be able to switch it sometimes. I feel like Cam Taylor-Britt, who forced that fumble, had an idea or knew that that ball wasn't going to move out the left hand and it was going to be exposed if he came at the right angle from the left side. So maybe that, that fumble, which didn't cost the Titans anything, they actually scored on that play, uh, but maybe that's enough to wake up Derrick Henry and say you can't just have the ball in your left hand all the time. Uh, Traylon Burks recovered that fumble in the end zone, and Burks is really starting to come into his own. Uh, he had another big catch down the field in this game, another contested catch uh, down the field. He's starting to find his stride. Uh, Burks has 181 yards over his last two games. And his previous five games, 153 yards. So more than half of Burks' yardage for the season, as far as receiving yardage goes, has come in the last two weeks. And again, he was drafted fair or not fair. He was drafted to be the new A.J. Brown in this offense. And it hasn't happened for most of the season, in part due to injury, and a part in part due to uh, just the learning curve it, it's taken for him so far. But if they can get consistent production out of him, now the offense doesn't become so difficult. That said, it's the Titans team. They scored 16 points in this game, so they still need to find a way to generate offense. It's going to start with Derrick Henry, and they've got to get him back to uh, how he was looking earlier in the season as far as running the football goes. And... Um, you know, the Titans, they got to play Philadelphia next week. Uh, Philadelphia has shown that they can give up something in the ground game, certainly without Jordan Davis. So if you're the Titans, you feel like maybe there's an opportunity there to get your run game back on track. But it absolutely has to happen because even if Tannehill plays well, even if Traylon Burst continues to play well, this team is not going to be able to generate more than 16 or so points on a regular basis if they continue to run the ball as ineffectively as they've had the last few weeks. As for Cincinnati, I said you passed this test. Congratulations, you get Kansas City for your next test. So that's a game that you'll probably need Jamar Chase back for, as far as I'm concerned, if you're going to win that game. You're certainly not going to beat Kansas City scoring 20 points, not as far as I'm concerned. So they need to get their reinforcements back, get Chase back, get Nixon back, hopefully. Again, don't rush guys back if they're not ready to play, but you hope to have him back because you're going to need all hands on deck 
uh, once you once the Chiefs come to town. And what Tennessee wanted to have as a revenge game for last year's playoffs after they were the one seed and they had them at home, they get guess who they get at home again? Cincinnati. And guess who they lose to again? Cincinnati. And a game that was very winnable, even when Derrick Henry did absolutely nothing besides the long catch and run, which he did end up fumbling, but again, didn't hurt uh, the Titans. It, hit, it hurt one of my parlays because I had him scoring a touchdown in the game, but I digress. Um, Tennessee could have won this game, even though their main offense, a.k.a. Derrick Henry, was pretty much held in check. And I agree with Julius. It's very concerning. I was, when Julius talked about this about four weeks ago, why did Derrick Henry get 35 carries against the Texans in a game where you didn't need for that to happen? I, I just... And he he leads the league in in rushing attempts again. He has like he's on pace, I think, to get close to three hundred and fifty rushing attempts, which is insane. It it just but guess what? Tennessee's winning their division and they don't have him on contract for the next year, so run that man into the ground. Um and that's pretty much what they're doing. They've been doing it they've been doing it ever since they, they drafted him. They've just been running this man into the ground. Um Hopefully he gets hopefully he gets a big contract for his next one. He deserves it. A lot of these free agent running backs that are on contract years are having really, really good years. Um, unfortunately, the running back position doesn't get paid anymore in the NFL, but a lot of these guys are going to deserve uh, some good contracts. Like you got Saquon that's on a contract year. You got Josh Jacobs. You got Derrick Henry. You've got... Miles Sanders, I believe. You know, you got Kareem Hunt. You got lots and lots and lots of guys coming out of the running. It's going to be a crazy running back free agent class. Um, But, you know, Cincinnati for not having Jamar Chase or Joe Mixon, um, I was impressed with Joe Burrow's play because normally he um, normally he he just kind of folds under the pressure. But like Julia said, it must be nice to have must be nice to have T Higgins um, as a secondary option when he's really a number one. They drafted him with the first pick in the, the second round in the same draft that uh, they drafted Joe Burrow. So Joe Burrow and him have a lot of familiarity along with Jamar Chase um, and Joe Burrow. So, uh, But again, Cincinnati didn't play well. I agree with Julius. This is a great win for a team that needs to be able to win dirty. They did it, they did it in the playoffs last year, though. They won a lot of close games. Um, but it it just was ugly. But all Tennessee's games are ugly. Even the even the Kansas City Tennessee game was ugly. I was like nineteen to sixteen. So this is just how Tennessee plays. This is how they want to play. That's how they can get W's normally. Is when the game is close and dirty and it has to be a grind out type of game. So uh, Tennessee had a chance to pretty much put their stranglehold on the division. I mean, they still are seven and four, um, and they beat the Colts twice. So it, it is kind of theirs to lose but uh these are games that if they make the playoffs which they should um these are ones that they're going to have to start winning because if not it's just gonna be more of the same like last year they they're not gonna get the number one seed but um you know they won and done in the playoffs and in a game that they should have won but ryan Tannehill was terrible i'm not saying Tannehill played terrible in this game but um you know the offense could have done more for the defense. Again, the defense held Cincinnati to, to 20 points. So uh, this was the game that they could have easily won. 
All right, moving on to the blowout of the week, and I think everyone saw this one coming, so this was no surprise. This was the Houston Texans at Miami. Uh, Miami is one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now, especially since Tua came back. Their only real losses is when Tua hasn't played. So I'm not saying this team would be undefeated, but they were undefeated when Tua was healthy and playing. So uh, that's just something to keep in mind. Um, Tua is definitely having a resurgent year. Um, I talked in our preseason about Tua and how I was real high on him this year. A lot of people gave me a lot of crap about that, and I feel like he's proven me right, which I'm I'm happy for Tua because he had a really horrific hip injury in college. I feel like no one really gave this man grace or time to to heal. Uh, so I'm really happy that you know he's kind of. Now, I'm not saying he's fully healthy, but I'm happy that he is definitely, um, you know, it looks like he's healthier than he has been, and I'm very happy that he is now kind of proving a lot of haters and doubters wrong. Um, Especially in the media. At the beginning of the year, they were like, is Tua for real? And you had people like Stephen A. and other people in the media being like, no, he's not for real. He's not that good of a quarterback. I don't like this. I don't like that. I would still take Justin Herbert over him. I'd do this. I'd do that. And all Tua's done uh, is win games. So, you know, it's just interesting. It's just interesting how people like Tua and people like, you know, if you don't fit a certain mold of quarterback, for some reason you get labeled as not a good quarterback or you don't do this or you don't do that. And it's just really, really weird. It's just a, you know, I don't want to say everything's racist because I, I, I don't think everything is. Um, and a lot of the announcers and, and, and guys and analysts aren't white that have said this about Tua, but it's just a weird, it's just a weird thing. Like, I just don't understand why he gets so shitted on, except for recently, ESPN, Dan Orvzlossi said two is closing in on Patrick Mahomes, but I just feel like that's because that's the only person. Josh Allen's falling out of the race. Joe Burrow's not in the race. just feel like it's Justin Herbert's not in the race, so I just feel like it's the next guy up, right, just that you're trying to compare to Patrick Mahomes. But two is having a great year. Uh, it helps that you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. That does not hurt when you're a quarterback at all. Um, Jeff Wilson has been a really nice addition to this team. I mean, I know if you look at the stats and stuff, you're going to be like, but he didn't do anything in this game. No, he had some hard runs. He got a touchdown, but they really didn't need him. They were winning pretty much 30 to nothing. Um, and they all, the starters got benched at half in an NFL game. Every single starter got pulled at halftime. Like this was high school, you know, blowing you out of the water. So, um, Kyle Allen's not the answer for Houston. Davis Mills isn't the answer at Houston. Houston's just tanking for a quarterback at this point. Uh, there's not much to say about Houston. Damian Pierce got held in check. Houston's offense got held in check. So uh, this is just another blowout. I don't think I don't know if Houston will win another game the rest of the year. I don't think they want to. Um, but Miami looks good, and Miami looks like a serious contender in the AFC this year. This is one of those games that's tough to evaluate. I mean, you have a really good team, a really hot team coming in with the Dolphins. Uh, as Patrick said, Tua Tagovailoa every week seems to continue to show his worth and uh, prove one person wrong after the next after we were uh, both very, very high on him going into the season. Uh, but this was just a game where if you're the Dolphins, there was nothing you could prove in this game. Um uh, 
this this was ugly. As Patrick said it, this game was 30 to nothing at one point uh, before the Dolphins decided to uh, call the dogs off. This this game could have easily been 50 to nothing, 60 to nothing if the Dolphins wanted to take it there. And uh, it's ironic that we're talking about this game uh, right after you, you, Patrick, talked about how, you know, the Titans, when they were playing the Texans, did not give Derrick Henry the rest. They just kept feeding them and feeding them as if you need Derrick Henry to beat this team. And the Dolphins being smart now, granted, there, there was a bit of an injury scare for a second with two or two in this game. And that's the one thing you continue to worry about moving forward. So I'm glad that that Tagovailoa was pulled from this game because you just you didn't need to see him get hurt in this game. You didn't see any, need any of your uh, guys to get hurt in this game. So don't make the mistake the, the Titans did against the Texans and, and waste your guys. Uh, use this as an opportunity to get your guys rest. Get somebody like Skylar Thompson reps just in case you need him in an emergency situation. Uh, Thompson didn't look good in spot duty in this game, but again, it's hard to assess because once you're up to 30 to nothing, uh, you're just not going to be as mentally sharp most of the time. So uh, Miami came in, did what they wanted to do, did what they needed to do. Uh, I was focused more on the Dolphins' defense. Uh, can you beat down a team that's already this beaten down? Can you take down? Can you make Kyle Allen look like Kyle Allen, which they did in this game. Uh, Houston had two awful, awful turnovers in this game, deep in their own territory. Uh, one was a Kyle Allen pass. I'm not sure who he was throwing it to, but it was a perfect, soft, easy throw right to Andrew Van Ginkle. He ran that one back to the three-yard line and set up a touchdown. Uh, he had Jordan Aikens fumble uh, deep in his own territory, a fumble forced by Eric Rowe, playing the most important position in football. Playmaking safety comes up, forces the fumble. That gets returned uh, for a touchdown by Xavier Howard, who just continues to be a ball magnet on defense. And so basically that's that's 14 points that the Texans gifted the Dolphins just by offensive ineptitude. So uh, the defense did its thing in this game. Uh, the Dolphins defense sacked Kyle Allen five times in this game. Uh, Bradley Chubb got his first full sack. He's had a half sack as a Dolphin, but his first full sack as a Dolphin came into this game, so he has to feel good about getting on the board, even though this is an exhibition game for all intents and purposes. Uh, Patrick's absolutely right. that The Houston Texans don't want to win. That's, that's the bottom line. To watch this performance and already declare that Kyle Allen is going to be the starting quarterback next week means you saw what you wanted to see out of, which is complete and utter failure. <laughs> you know, if you can watch this performance and say, I want more of that, that lets me know that you've got whoever you want to pick number one overall, you've got that guy in mind, and you're trying to make sure you you get there. So that, that's where Houston is right now. And if you, if you don't think that's the case, then you have to explain to me why, when you go for two in garbage time in a 30-12 to 12 game, why you throw a pass to Laramie Tunsil when he's not open. This, this wasn't a play like Aaron Rodgers had a few weeks ago against Detroit where David Bakhtiari is wide open and Rodgers just missed the throw. Laramie Tunsil was actually covered. And they threw like a bullet to him. They didn't even throw like a pass. You know, there's always a loft to alignment. They don't catch the football. They threw a bullet right at Larry Tussle's chest. And of course, of course, everything you think would happen happened. If he falls down, he looks clumsy. Ball goes right through his hands. I mean, it, it's, it's an absolute comedy to watch the Houston Texans play football. And you have all that going down. And now you have Deshaun Watson coming to town. That would be the one game I would think they would want to have some pride in. But again, the fact that you named Kyle Allen the starter for that game means 
you don't have a problem with Deshaun Watson coming back and destroying you in his first game of the season. So the Texans have absolutely no pride. As for the Dolphins, they get the 49ers next week, and that'll be the first time in a couple weeks that they've actually been tested. So I'm very much looking forward to that game. Like I said, the Dolphins did what good teams are supposed to do, which is destroy bad teams. Don't even give them a chance to get a fluke win at the end. But now the real test starts to come. When you look at the Dolphins' schedule moving forward, you'll start to get a real feel for what this team truly is about. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the measuring stick-type games and uh, getting through these Houston Texans-type games for the Dolphins. Right, next, we'll get into the New York Jets, who take down the Chicago Bears in another game that went the way we pretty much thought it would, 31-10. to 10. I'm going to start this off by just cautioning people. And I'm going to go ahead and say this. Anybody was a better option than Zach Wilson based on his play and based on his attitude. But I think we're getting a little carried away. And again, I've talked about this with the Cooper Rush and the Bailey Zappy types before. You get carried away with the backups coming in and having one good game. Pump your brakes is all I'm saying with Mike White. Maybe Mike White is that guy. Maybe Mike White comes in and looks like Kurt Warner for the rest of the season. It's just not something I'm counting on, and it's just not something I'm ready to say because he had this type of performance against this team. Okay, defensively, the Chicago Bears were without Jaquan Brisker and Kyler Gordon. They drafted Jaquan Brisker and Kyler Gordon in the second round. Keep in mind, they didn't have a first-round pick, so their top picks were defensive backs because their secondary is that bad. And now you didn't have those guys. Then you add to that, Eddie Jackson got injured in this game. He got injured on one of Garrett Wilson's touchdowns. That's probably a play that Garrett Wilson doesn't score on if Eddie Jackson's not lying down on the ground in the middle of the field. So if you're the Bears, you're not a great defense with those guys. But you lose both your safeties, most important position in football. You lose both your guys there. There was a no contest. Keep in mind, this is a team that already traded away Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn. So all the talent off of what was a mediocre defense with all of those guys is gone. So this was essentially target practice for Mike White and this offense. So again, I just want to say, let's relax before we anoint Mike White. Now, there's a point in the season where everybody thought Joe Flacco was going to be that guy, too. That, that died quickly. Again, with backups, just wait and see. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> this, is, this is just take caution here. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying Mike White sucks. I'm saying take caution. With that said, the New York Jets this season average 15 completions a game when Zach Wilson starts and 28 completions a game when anybody not named Zach Wilson starts. So when you take Zach Wilson out of the lineup, immediately Garrett Wilson goes back to the guy who for a few weeks with Joe Flacco was looking like he could be in the rookie of the year conversation. Elijah Moore, who literally, I'm not even exaggerating, literally quit on this offense for as long as Zach Wilson was going to be the starter. Elijah Moore, all of a sudden, back involved in the offense, catching a touchdown. This offense does become more well-rounded, and if nothing else, this offense becomes more excited when anybody not named Zach Wilson is in there. So that, that speaks a lot to Wilson, that they'll take literally anybody over him, uh, especially for a young team. I mean, these, these aren't veterans coming out and speaking out against the quarterback. These are young guys who are just finding their footing in the NFL saying anybody but him. 
So that that's that's a terrible sign for Zach Wilson. And even if Mike White struggles over the next couple games, I I don't see how you can go back to Wilson based on how this offense has looked again with anybody other than him. Now, the one thing that was exciting for me in this game, the leading rusher for the Jets, Zonovan Bam Knight. Shout out to the Wolfpack. I didn't see this coming. I did, I did not see this coming. This was the biggest surprise for me. James Robinson scratched. So, so somewhere, somebody in the Jacksonville front office is smiling because we all said, well, what, is, what are the Jaguars doing by just throwing James Robinson away? Well, the Jets, apparently not impressed with James Robinson either. I don't know if he's still not fully back or from, from his Achilles injury or what the case is, but uh, James Robinson continues to fall out of favor with another team. And, of course, Michael Carter got hurt in this game, so that left wild cards at the running back position. And even without Michael Carter, without James Robinson, this Jets run game was all of a sudden back in a way that it hasn't looked since Brees Hall got hurt. Now, again, it's against the Bears. So, Donovan Knight had a good game. Ty Johnson had a good game. I'll, I'll let Patrick give the shout-out there. But, again, it's the Bears. So, you got to see what this offense looks like against a legitimate defense, against a legitimate team that's trying to win. Um, as for Chicago, no Justin Fields means no offense, particularly when it's no Justin Fields, no Khalil Herbert, and Darnell Mooney gets hurt. Chase Claypool also got hurt late in this game. So that's really nothing, no kind of threat left defensively for the Chicago Bears. And you got the result you get. This Jets defense is legit, but it was untested in this game outside of Byron Pringle making a heck of a touchdown catch over top of DJ Reed. That was that was the highlight of the game for the Bears, but you, you had Trevor Simeon at quarterback. We know what Trevor Simeon is, and he wasn't healthy. He gets hurt in warm-ups, and it's just that, it's just that kind of season. That, uh, that's what it's turning into for the Bears, but you got to throw out a, a Trevor Simeon. And why do you have to play a hurt Trevor Simeon? Because your other option is Nathan Peter. Why is this man still in the league? I mean, I just, I just don't understand. If, if you can't play him over an injured Trevor Simeon, why is he on your roster? Why is he on your practice squad? Why is he anywhere near your organization? Get Nathan Peterman out of the league. The man can't play. I'm tired of seeing him. Uh, again, with, with Chicago, with all that said, they had 10 points with five minutes left in the second quarter and couldn't score the rest of the game. So that, that says all you need to know. Again, the Jets were not tested in this game. The Jets will play Minnesota next, and that will be more of a test. Uh, again, Minnesota's off uh, defense is shorthanded, particularly in the secondary at the cornerback position. Maybe they can get a Caleb Evans back next week, but I still want to see Mike White against a legitimate team, against a team that's going to put points on the board, against a team that's going to pressure him to continue to succeed on offense. Does he play well under those conditions? Let's see him do it more than once before we anoint Mike White. So, yeah, in a game where I might have boycotted the NFL, and I'm not even joking, when I heard Nathan Peterman was going to start for the Chicago Bears, I literally was about to not watch into the NFL anymore because there is no reason, and no one can explain to me, why this man is in the NFL still. And I don't like to say this, and I normally don't, but... I could throw the ball better than Nathan. No, I'm joking. I couldn't because he, he played in college and he actually knows how to play football better than me. But I'm just saying, like, he is not good. Every time he's been in the NFL, every time he's done X, Y, and Z, 
Uh, it's it's he threw like four straight interceptions. I think I think he's the one that in the game with the Broncos or wherever he was threw four picks like in a row, like four passes, four picks. So you should not be in the NFL. Um, anyway, um, glad he did not start. I mean, I'm with Julius. I think it speaks volumes and stuff to how bad he is. That the fact that you would rather go with a hurt Trevor Simeon who came out of this game firing. Like it's not even like. The Chicago Bears offense actually looked decent to to start the game, and then it just fell apart. Um, oh, yeah. Again, Chase Claypool had a nice catch over Sauce Gardner. Um, mm-hmm. Sauce, Sauce might not give up any touchdowns, but he has given up catches. Let's, let's not act like he's shutting everyone down. I don't know why everyone – that's that's their barometer for a good corner. Like, he's a great corner, but – uh, you're going to give up some catch, but Claypool made a really nice catch to to over him. Um, but other than that one drive, and then obviously the Pringle catch, which Julius talked about, Chicago's offense just looked anemic as we thought it would without Justin Fields. So for everyone who's like, oh, Justin Fields isn't that good, the Bears offense the last five weeks has looked stellar compared to what they put out in the field. Again, the Jets' defense is good. With Justin Fields, I don't know how good Chicago's offense would have looked anyway. But it probably would have looked better than this. Um, the one thing I will say is I hope Justin Fields was kind of watching Trevor Simeon because there were a lot of times Trevor Simeon just threw the ball up there and was like, make a play. Make a play, my receivers. And I don't think Justin Fields has that in him yet. I don't think he has that type of just go get it for me. Like I feel like he holds onto the ball a little bit too much and waiting for a guy to get open where I think Trevor Simeon was just like, I know I'm not going to be a starter in the NFL anymore, so F it. I'm just going to throw it. If there's a guy, I'm throwing it to him. Um, I kind of liked that, and I hope uh, Justin Fields kind of you know took note of that uh, because I think that will help him in the future. But again, he's a young quarterback. I'm not expecting him to be able to make all the throws and do X, Y, and Z all the time, especially coming from a college kind of air raid system. Um, Mike White went crazy, 300-plus yards. And Julius has already touched on all the Garrett Wilson looked amazing once again. Looks like another great wide receiver pick for the Jets. Um, but Elijah Moore, I'm, I'm with Julius, and I'm going to kind of touch on this more about the Jets than, than I'm going to talk about the game. I feel like I've said everything I need to say about this game. The emotion slash body language slash looks on players' faces and energy was insane for Mike White. It's kind of like the Commanders with Taylor Heineke over Carson Wentz. Now, I'm not saying Zach Wilson is way better than than Mike White. Uh, I didn't really like Zach Wilson coming out of the draft. Julius and I both were like, why is he going number two overall? Like, he didn't show me much at BYU. We both said the same thing about him coming out. Um, but Taylor Heineke is not better than Carson Wentz. Anyone who says he is is lying. He's not. He's not a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. He would have gone second overall if he was better than Carson Wentz. Let's just be honest. But the team plays harder and better and has more luck, as Julius will say, with him in the game. So I'm not saying that's Mike White is going to be that for the Jets, but body language, chemistry, emotion, these guys are human beings too. It all plays a, it all plays a part. And Elijah Moore looked rejuvenated, and he made plays, and he looked the best that he's looked all season. And, and you know, a lot of that might have to do with Zach Wilson. Like, let's be honest. Like, I, there are people might just not like Zach Wilson, and, and you don't want to play with someone you don't like. So 
Um, it is. It's going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward. Uh, this team is. No one thought they'd be in a playoff hunt, and they're in the middle of a playoff slash division hunt. So, um, it's going to be interesting moving forward what the Jets do. But just again, it's tough to to judge because it was the Bears without multiple key players on offense and defense. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what they do moving forward because. If they if the players play like this, they they have to stay with Mike White. Uh, and yeah, shout out to Ty Johnson. Terp got a touchdown. Um, I always appreciate when a Terp is getting a touchdown in the NFL. But Bears are now in tank mode. They're just trying to get the highest draft pick they can get with Justin Fields being out. And um, the Jets, like I said, are in the thick of a division slash playoff hunt, which no one saw coming. And this defense has grown up quickly. Moving on to another rainy... There was a lot of rain games this week. And moving on to another rain-filled game, Atlanta at Washington, which Washington won 19-13 in another game that they probably should have lost, but found a way to win. Um, It was a bad offensive game all the way around. There was really no offense in this game. Partly due to the weather, partly due to the teams that are playing. Um... Mariota and the Falcons had a chance to win this game, and because Taylor Heineke is the starting quarterback for the Commanders, Mariota throws an interception on the two-yard line when Patterson was actually open and probably would have caught a touchdown, but Deron Payne uh, caught, you know, tipped it, and and then you know the guy called it for the Commanders, and it, hit, you know, as they say, hit, you know, Heineke gets another W. So uh, just one of those games where. Again, it wasn't a it wasn't a good game. Falcons had a chance to win it, which they needed to stay in their division race. I mean, even though everyone in their division lost besides the Panthers, but it these are the games, and it's insane. The Commanders are seven and five now, so insane that they're seven and five. They're in the thick of the playoff hunt in the NFC. All of the NFC East, which no one saw coming at the beginning of the season, is in playoff hunt. Um. Uh, I will shout out Brian Robinson Jr., though. He had a nice catch and ran over a defender to get a touchdown. He also had over 100 rushing yards. Um, it was just a great game for him, and I'm glad to see that. He, it seems like he's bouncing back from getting shot, which was terrible. Um, but I know Atlanta's in the thick of it, and they're not out of it, but I am just kind of over Marcus Mariota as the starting quarterback already. I mean, I'm not saying that Ritter's the option, and I'm not saying that he's ready, and if he's not ready, then... Don't start them, but at some point, you got to see Mariota's not giving you what you need from that position. And and I feel like the Panthers game, when he threw it off his back, doing a 360 <laughs> should have proven it. Um, I, I mean, I, if there's no other options, there's no other options. If Ritter's not ready, he's not ready. But I, you know that Mariota's not your future. No one is sitting there in that organization banking of building this team around him. And if you have a chance to make the playoffs, even if it's a fluke playoff, you know, berth, look at the Seahawks. They had a losing record and beat the Saints, who had were like 13-3 and three that season going into the playoffs. So anything's possible. You know what I mean? Like, don't give up. I would do what was best for the team to try and make the playoffs. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. But shout out to the Commanders. Uh, five and one with Heineke. They're now seven and five on the season, and 
in the thick of it, and they play the Giants next, and I hope Heineke plays crappy, and I hope the Giants win, but at this point, I I have no faith in the Giants, but I have no faith in the Commanders either, so they could tie for all I know. Who knows what's going to happen next week? The interesting thing is, because, I mean, I, I agree with, with you on Mariota. I mean, early in the season, I gave Mariota credit. I felt like he was showing a comfort in his offense and that he was doing well in limited opportunities as both a runner and passer. Uh, but again, this is why you kind of wait on that sample size. Marcus Mariota may be a on the upper end of backup quarterbacks, but he's still a backup caliber quarterback. And as the season is worn on, you're seeing more and more of that. That said, I think if this was a case where the Buccaneers were doing what I guess I thought they would do, which would be run away with this division or at least only be dealing with the Saints in the division. If the Buccaneers were sitting at, you know, nine and three or something like that, and this division looked out of hand, I actually think that would um, expedite the process of getting the Desmond Ritter at quarterback. But I think the fact that the Falcons are hanging in is giving them incentive to stick with Mariota because they want to go with the trusted veteran because they feel like this division, I'm not even going to say they can win the division, the division can fall into their laps because they're only going to win this division by backing into it. Agreed. But I feel like they feel Mariota can, can accidentally win this division more so than Ritter. Uh, whereas, again, if they were four or five games out of the division lead, which they should be, quite frankly, uh, then that would uh, encourage them more to put Ritter in and take that risk because you, you, know, you don't know until you see a guy play on that field. Some guys look ready and then shock you when they're not ready. Other guys can look bad in practice, and all of a sudden the game looks great. You, know, you just never know. So they don't seem to be comfortable taking that gamble right now and putting Ritter in, even though, again, I agree with you. I'm, I'm tired of seeing the same old uh, performances for Mario the week in and week out. This game in particular bothered me. And I've talked about the Falcons and just their approaches on offense in some of these games. It's not a good offense. Let's be clear about that. But this is a game where you're missing Kyle Pitts, okay? The Commanders are missing Benjamin St. Juice, who is developed into their best corner. If there was ever a time to use Drake London, this is the game. I mean, I, I just don't understand why this offense refuses to throw the ball to Drake London. Olamide Zacchaeus is a nice player. He's cool. Not better than Drake London. Why does he have twice as many targets in this game as Drake London? I mean, if, if I joined the Falcons today, I feel like they would throw the ball to me six times before they throw it to Drake London three. I mean, I just don't understand why Why did you spend a top 10 pick on this guy and refuse to throw the ball to him? It's one thing when this offense refuses to throw the ball at all, which we've seen them do. But this, this insistence on throwing the ball away from Drake London Again, when he is not going up against the team's other team's number one corner because that guy's not available, it's just it, it blows my mind that this team continues to waste Drake London in a year where we see other top pick rookie receivers elevate at this stage of the season. This team continues to freeze London out of the offense, and it's just it's just blowing my mind. As somebody who feels like London is the best receiver in this class, I, I just get tired of not seeing him get the opportunities. Uh, so with that out of the way, uh, you get to the end of this game. And like Patrick said, right at, you're right at the goal line. You've got the opportunity to have a game-tying touchdown, potentially game-winning extra point. And 
of course. Uh, you throw an interception. Deron Payne put his left hand up. I know Commanders fans will like that. And uh, tipped the pass up for an interception that was caught by Kendall Fuller. Fuller now, uh, for two weeks in a row, has an interception. And that was the biggest play of the game. Uh, of course, because the Commanders' offense is not good, even after an interception by Fuller in the end zone with under a minute left, this offense still couldn't run the clock out and had to rely on a penalty on a punt to close the game out. So apparently this is how the commanders are going to close games out now. They, they're going to close games out with penalties. Taylor Heineke a couple of weeks ago flops into a, uh, to a hit, and I use that word very loosely, to win a game against the Eagles. Now you get Tressway being roughed. And again, use that term loosely, being run, run into, but it was a legitimate call. It was a stupid play by Atlanta to blow this game. But it's, it's, that's how the commanders are winning games. I mean, they, they are closing games in all the wrong ways possible, but the other team is finding ways to be stupid. Like the like commanders are just being inept on offense, but the other teams are finding ways to be stupid and help the commanders. And that's how these games are being closed out. Uh, like Patrick said, Brian Robinson deserves a shout out. Uh, this was his first career 100-yard rushing game and his first career receiving touchdown. And like Patrick said, he looked like Mike Allstock running into the end zone, just barreling over guys on the way to the end zone. Uh, so very impressive finish to that pass for him. And uh, again, you like to see Robinson continue to ascend well with everything he went through before the season started. Uh, as for Taylor Heineke, again, you, you know what you're going to get. When you watch Taylor Heineke play, you, you don't see a good quarterback. Uh, he's going to give a, give you a, give you a mistake every game. Taylor Heineke has thrown an interception in five of his six starts, and that doesn't even account the fact that he throws about two or three passes a game that hit defenders in their hands and they just drop. <laughs> so countless dropped interceptions. You've had a couple of Heineke turnovers that have been called back through the penalties on the defense. I mean, again, Heineke does little right. I will say he threw an impressive pass on the John Bates touchdown. I like give him credit for, for that. So Heineke will throw that one pass or maybe two passes in a game to make you say, okay, I see what you're doing. But for the most part, he continues to play fundamentally unsound football, and he continues to get away with it. And, you know, against a team like the Falcons, the Falcons have now lost four games on the road in a row. And in every one of those games, the Falcons have scored 17 points or fewer. So this offense, which is a run-based offense, does not travel on the road. So, again, as we continue to bust myths on this podcast, that's one I want to bust. If you're not a good offense and this is traveling, not traveling, it doesn't matter. Falcons run the ball fairly well. This offense does not travel on the road. This team doesn't travel on the road. They keep losing everywhere they go on the road. And because of that, I felt like they were going to give this type of performance. Uh, like you said, Washington – faces the Giants next, and all of a sudden, the winner of that game starts to look really good for the playoffs, considering that none of the NFC teams outside of the East seem to <laughs> seem to want to do well. Uh, every team's got – every other division looks like it's going to send one team to the playoffs. But we'll get to the Seahawks later, but they're starting to take a bit of a step back. Uh, but all of a sudden, yeah, the winner of that game, Washington versus New York, is going to, going to hit eight wins, a number I didn't think either one of those teams would hit this year. And we'll look to be in really good shape in the NFC. So that's going to be a critical game. I believe that Heineke will have to play a little better than this to win. But at the same time, we saw with the Giants that the commanders can find a way to slow down Saquon Barkley. 
you can see a win for the commanders next week with this kind of a score where you only score you struggle to score touchdowns you struggle to get conversions uh the commanders can do a lot wrong on offense and still beat the giants so it's going to be an interesting game to see i want again i want to say haneke has to play better than this to win but it just seems like no matter no matter how poorly he plays this team finds a way to win the games for him Next game we're going to get into features the most consistent team in the NFL, the Denver Broncos, as they lose once again 23 to 10 to the Carolina Panthers. And I'm serious when I say this is the most consistent team in the league. This offense looks this bad every week. Like that's the most consistent storyline. Every other team, even the Houston Texans, at one point looked decent this year. Like, with every other team in the league, there's some degree of variation of what they look like. It's not the same exact team every every week. This team looks the same every week. It's complete ineptitude on offense. Russell Wilson goes out there and throws for 142 yards on 35 passes. Now, again, I'm not big on passing yards just as an absolute stat, but I do look at yards per pass attempt. And we're talking four yards per pass for Russell Wilson. Again, I, I don't care what's going on around you. You've got to be able to find a way to manufacture more than four yards of pass. Somehow, some way. I don't care who you've got. I don't care what kind of receivers you do or don't have. You look around the league, other teams without receivers are finding a way to get more than four, four yards of pass. Four yards of run isn't great. Four yards of pass is inexcusable. So you can't have that type of performance. And I continue to worry about how this team uses his players, just like I talked with Atlanta earlier. How you use your personnel matters. Kendall Hinton had nine targets in this game. When Jerry Judy was healthy, he was only targeted nine times once in a game. So when you have Jerry Judy available, well, that's when you want to have all this tunnel vision on Courtland Sutton. You don't want to throw the ball to Jerry Judy. But now that Kendall Hinton is your number two, keep in mind, KJ Hamler is also hurt. Kendall Hinton. A converted wide receiver is your number two. And he leads the team in targets. Why? And then, then you get shocked when Kendall Hinton gets you 35 yards on nine targets. Again, under four yards a target. What are you doing? Montreal Washington is a five foot 10, 170 pound receiver. Why are you throwing 50 50 jump balls to him? Who in the NFL is he supposed to beat? I don't think Montreal Washington can beat my 13-year-old son in a jump ball. And yet you're throwing him jump balls in NFL situations. Montreal Washington is a wide receiver, by the way. He's a wide receiver. For the season, he has four catches for two yards. How does an NFL receiver average half a yard a catch? Like, I've never seen this degree of ineptitude in a passing game. And again, it's not great receivers. It's a terrible offensive line. But still, there's no excuse to look this bad. Russell Wilson has to figure out something. That is why Mike Purcell is in his face. Now, this isn't necessarily the right game for the defense to start yelling at Russell Wilson and showing him up. Because if you're the defense, they gave up 100 yards to Deontay Foreman when you knew going into this game, Carolina's a one-dimensional offense. They gave up 100 yards to D.J. Moore when you're supposed to have the best corner in the league 
covered him. You let Sam Darnold fumble and literally roll into the end zone. So this wasn't the game for the defense to rise up and get mad. Now, there is some irony in the fact that the guy yelling at Russell Wilson, Mike Purcell, had an inspired change uh, written on the back of his helmet. Because I'm sure he said something like that in much nicer terms to Russell Wilson. But um, the run game actually worked a little for Denver in this game. Latavius Murray was far and away the best player on Denver's offense in this game. That says a lot because this is a guy that was let go by Baltimore when they need running back help, let go by New Orleans when they need running back depth. And that guy is the only guy performing on your offense. That's a sad state of affairs. And then the icing on the cake, Brandon McManus missed a 56-yard kick in this game. The third time this year, McManus has missed a kick of at least 56 yards. Maybe stop trying 56-yard field goals. Maybe accept that that might not be in his range, particularly when he's not at home. Like, nobody is doing anything right in this organization outside of the defense. And like I said, the defense didn't have its finest moment in this game either. Uh, Carolina's defense certainly had fun, as every defense does that faces Denver. Uh, Russell Wilson is, is going to get sacked multiple times every game. That's just part of the deal. Brian Burns got a couple of sacks in this game. He got a strip sack that went straight up into the air and resulted in a turnover. And, you know, the Panthers, the, the four and eight Panthers, were having a field day against this team. That's how bad it's got to Denver. That, that a team like Carolina can say, oh, we got Denver on the schedule. That's a dub. I mean, it's, it's gotten that bad. Uh, Sam Donald makes his debut in this game, season debut. He completed 11 passes. Why? He didn't have to do more than that. And so, you know, it's nothing to get excited about. But at the same time, uh, the one thing I will say about Donald, outside of, him, again, him barrel rolling into the end zone because the defense just wasn't interested in finishing the play, Sam Donald did show more confidence in throwing the ball to DJ Moore than Baker Mayfield has all year long. I, I, I don't know what's up with Baker Mayfield and just wanting to throw the ball to Terrace Marshall Jr., but Sam Donald did show you when you throw the ball to DJ Moore and give him a chance, good things will happen. So, you know, if you're Carolina, you head into the bye week, you've at least got that going. Um, Donald certainly did enough to continue to start moving forward, going out, coming out of the bye week. Uh, still not a great situation for Steve Wilkes at the quarterback position, but again, if you're going to make your season debut, if, if you can't do it against Houston, Denver's the second team you want to do it against. So great landing spot for Donald there. And uh, as far as the Broncos go, uh, they got to travel to Baltimore next week. And as much as – and we'll get into the Ravens in a little bit, but you feel like not even Baltimore can blow a lead against Denver because Denver can't score more than twice in a game, including field goals. Yeah, I'm not going to talk much about this game. Uh, Julius kind of touched on everything. Uh, DJ Moore, he a Terp. Um, but I will say this about this game. Um, Sam Darnold is the best quarterback in Carolina. It's not saying much, but that's just the fact of the matter. Um, it's weird to say that because I don't think I'd ever give Sam Darnold a compliment. And now I'm saying he's the best quarterback on his team. So I never thought I'd say that. Never thought I'd see the day be here saying that myself, but that's where we're at. Um, Yeah, you know, Panthers Panthers get a W, and, you know, I picked Denver to win this game, and, and I'm over Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett. I don't know if Russell Wilson's not going anywhere, not after everything they gave him. So, um, 
he's not going anywhere. So if people are like, get rid of Russell Wilson, he sucks this, he sucks that, guess what? Russell Wilson's not going anywhere, y'all. So you can keep wishing that and hoping that and all that good stuff, but that's it's not it's not happening. So uh, the next person that's going to go is Nathaniel Hackett, and I think his seat needs to be hot, hot, hot because he's shown me nothing from a coaching perspective uh, that should even have him qualified to be a head coach in the NFL. Uh, the offense has been terrible. Um, the defense going off on Russell Wilson in this game is hilarious. Like Julius said, like you didn't go off on him in the Colts game. You didn't go off on him in any of the games where you know he didn't play well in this game. But y'all also gave up twenty three points, which is like your season high. So uh, maybe that's why everyone was so frustrated. I don't know, but um, this was not the game for you to begin in Russell Wilson's face. Um, it is just kind of funny though, right? Like that's, that's the game that they decide to, to go off on him. But anyway, Panthers get the W and they're still in contention for the worst division in football, which is amazing at four and eight. They are right there. Falcons and Bucks have five wins. Saints and Panthers have four and the Panthers have beaten the Buccaneers. So it's not the same situation the Falcons are in where they don't hold the tiebreaker. So um Panthers and Bucks have to play again but it's just it's kind of funny right and one of those teams is going to make the playoffs I really hope it's not the Panthers but it could be and it could still be the Saints and it could still be it could be any of the teams it's it's amazing it's 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 the most dysfunctional division in football and I love it like it's it's hilarious um Deontay Foreman I hope he gets a good contract I don't know how many years he's on a contract with the Panthers but he's proven that he can be a starting running back in the NFL. I free DJ Moore. I'm going to be saying that until he's out of Carolina or until he gets a new uh, quarterback, but I need my man to be freed. Uh, he a Terp. And um, yeah, if Carolina makes the playoffs, I, I that's going to be hilarious to me. Um, as long as it's anybody other than Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, I'm, I, I'll be happy. But again, you just feel like it's going to be the Buccaneers and, and just because the, the division's so, so bad. Um, but terrible, terrible loss for Denver. Uh, everyone should be fired again. They're not going to get rid of Russell Wilson. So the next person's Hackett and his whole coaching staff. I've been saying this for years. I don't think John Elway is a good GM, but somehow he keeps keeping his job and keeps getting promoted and shit just because of what he did as a player. Um, but he's not good. He has not made any good decisions. And just because the defense, not Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning had a great year. The, the year that he was great with Denver, they didn't win. They lost to the Ravens. The year that he was terrible, they won the Super Bowl because of the defense. So every decision John always made at quarterback has been terrible. Um, again, Peyton Man was already great before he went to the Broncos, but I, I don't know how he keeps his job. Next game up in the last game in the 1 o'clock slate uh, was Baltimore at Jacksonville. Um, in a game that Baltimore loses another... Fourth quarter lead and loses another game. Um, you know, you don't like to see this trend. Um, it's four or five games now that they should have won, could have won. Don't know how you lose to Jacksonville. Um, you know, if if Justin Tucker would have made that field goal at the end, Julius, I already think he's the greatest of all time at the kicking position. I might have started putting him up in MVP 
conversations. And I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm being so serious because he's won a lot of games for the Ravens. Uh, you know, they're, they've been in a lot of close games, and he's made some very clutch kicks. So I'm not even trying to be funny, and I know that it's a quarterback um, award, which is ridiculous. I think the most valuable player should be the player who is most valuable to their team. Um, clearly I think Tua is in that conversation for me because they haven't won a game when he's been out and they've won every game that he's been in. So I think that just kind of proves himself right there. Obviously Patrick Mahomes, I think if you take him off the chiefs, they're not as good of a team, but I also think you should consider other players that have an impact on a team like a Justin Tucker. If you have any of these, if you have Cade York on the Ravens, they don't have seven wins. Let's just be real. If if you don't have a Micah Parsons on the Cowboys, they probably don't have as many wins as they have. I'm just trying to be I'm just I just think that you either need to make it the best quarterback in the league award or you need to change it from most valuable player because no one's winning that. Who's the last person that wasn't a quarterback to win? Sean Alexander? Or did someone else win it since then? Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson, right. So still early two thousands. So I mean I just you know, it's just ridiculous. Like, I mean you have to have an otherworldly performance. Even when Derrick Henry ran for 2K, he didn't get it. You know what I mean? You're getting offensive player of the year. It's just, it's dumb. Just change it to quarterback of the year award or something. But anyway, to the game. Um, Baltimore lost last second. Trevor Lawrence on that last drive was throwing dimes. That was not a touchdown, though, uh, to Zay Jones. And this is why you feel like the NFL, this is why everyone has issues with officiating and, and they feel like the NFL is rigged because he did not get two feet down. I know they're supposed to review it and stuff like that. Uh, just from what the replays I watched, I don't think that was a touchdown. I could be wrong. Maybe I need to watch more replays, but in my opinion, it wasn't a touchdown. Um, I don't know if they're saying the shin is like a knee and it's two feet down, but he yep. he didn't get two feet down. I know that. Um, uh, I never heard of the shin is, is a knee rule, but maybe it is. Maybe that's something I need to get better about and brush up on my NFL uh, mm-hmm. once again, Lamar led the Ravens in rushing. Um, he didn't have his best game as a quarterback, but he also wasn't giving up game winning drives like the defense has again. Um, Zay Jones went off in this game. He almost had 150 yards receiving. Uh, he did good for the Raiders last year too. So, you know, this isn't that surprising. Yep. I know he didn't look good with the bills and the bills drafted him kind of high when they drafted him out as a wide receiver, but he's mm-hmm. really, kind of carved out a role for himself in the NFL, um, which is actually a compliment to Christian Kirk as well because Christian Kirk has been drawing attention from his good play and getting all these other guys more opportunities. Um, But I think the biggest thing for me in this game is that Trevor Lawrence showed some flashes that we've talked about that he needs to show us near the end of the season as to why he was picked so high and why this organization should keep building around him. And I think this game just kind of solidified for me that there's flashes in there that he can be that guy, but we need to see it more consistently. Um, Travis Etienne gets hurt, and you and I talked about this. Why get rid of James Robinson? And and Etienne gets hurt. Who knows how long he's out? Hopefully it's something minor because I like him, and I think he's been having a great year. But this is what we were talking about. Why would you get rid of James Robinson when Etienne hasn't proven in his one year, again, a freak ACL blow, he can't stay healthy. I just don't get it. But like you said, Robinson's already out on the Jets, so who knows what's going on in that situation. Um, this is a really bad loss for Baltimore because Cincinnati picked up the win. I know that Baltimore holds a tiebreaker right now because they beat them. Um, but 
this was a really bad loss. They really needed to try and keep that lead on Cincinnati, and this division's going to come down to the wire. So um, I know you got some things to talk about with uh, this game, but, you know, Baltimore can't – I have no faith in them going into the playoffs if they can't pull out these wins. And, and, and some of these losses are not to good teams. Like, Jaguars are not that good of a team for you to blow this lead um, – on so it's 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 very concerning for me like the bills game you're kind of like oh it's the bills you know they're we think they're one of the best teams in the nfl at the time mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but to the jags eh, you know and then when it becomes three four and five games that you're doing this i don't like that consistency just like you're talking about how uh the broncos are consistently bad i do not like the ravens keep giving up fourth quarter leads to lose it's just not does not inspire any faith from me with them looking to get into the playoffs and make a run. Uh, so I'll start off by addressing that Marvin Jones game winning touchdown. The rules suck. They, they, they don't make sense. Um, you know, we saw it on Thanksgiving. A lot of people were confused as to why the CD lamb uh, catch was not called a touchdown. And, you know, the rule there is if you get two feet down, you can get two toes down. That's okay. You can get two heels down. That's okay. But if you put your foot down flat, if you land flat-footed, you got to get the whole foot in. So C.D. Lamb got one heel in, but the other foot landed flat, and part of it landed out of bounds. So it didn't matter that the first part of the foot landed in. The whole foot has to land in if you land flat-footed. So you have a weird rule there. With this Marvin Jones play, yeah, a shin or basically any body part other than a foot or a hand counts as two feet. So a shin, despite the fact that it's right next to your foot or right on top of your foot and at times can be impossible to distinguish from the foot when you look at replays from several feet away, uh, that's considered being inbounds. My problem on that Marvin Jones play is I'm not convinced that he had control of the football and maintained it while he was rolling around out of bounds. That's where I thought it should have been ruled a catch. I thought they were right in their interpretation of one shin equals two feet in bounds, but I thought that nobody even talked about the fact that when Jones rolled over, that ball was still moving a little bit. So that's why I didn't think that touchdown should count, but again, everybody was just looking at the foot and the shin. Uh, as for the rest of this game, the Jaguars started out very slow offensively. Both teams did, actually, but the Jaguars didn't start to pick it up until Baltimore, with a 6-0 lead in the second quarter, decided to go for a fourth down at midfield. And they ran some weird play where it was like a half-sneak, half-quarterback sweep, and it didn't go anywhere. They lost yardage on it. And I, I just I don't know what Lamar Jackson was doing. I don't know what the play call was. I don't know how it was supposed to look, but... It ended up in Jackson just kind of running sideways and going down and actually fumbling on the play on top of it. And I'm not even sure who recovered the fumble, but again, fourth down, it didn't matter who came away with the ball. Uh, so that play call seemed to be the spark that the Jaguars needed in this game. So that, that was a problem. I got a problem with John Harbaugh on that call. I'm blowing the whistle on that call because I just thought it was a dumb play and a dumb time to do it at, at the time where the Jaguars weren't even threatening you on offense. Why did you need to do it? Terrible. Uh, hate it. I also, <laughs> I, I, I knew you like that. I also don't like 
and I've talked about this before, I, I don't know what the Ravens' fascination is with Gus Edwards. I, I really don't. That's not to say he's not a bad player. I just look at how much differently they've treated him than J.K. Dobbins. From the fact that they seemed, in my eyes, they rushed Dobbins back, but let Edwards take all the time he needed to get back. Uh, when Dobbins got back, they were insistent on using everyone but Dobbins. So it was just a little bit of Dobbins, a little bit of Hill, a little bit of Drake, a little bit of anybody they could find. But when it's Edwards, all of a sudden, Kenyon Drake, who has been good for the Ravens in recent weeks, all of a sudden can't touch the football because Gus Edwards is back. I, I don't understand the fascination with Gus Edwards. And you give the ball to Edwards. When you're up late in the game, 1917, you are trying to score to put this game away or at least milk the clock. Gus Edwards is the one who fumbled to set up the Jaguars go-ahead field goal. The Jaguars couldn't move the ball from there, but you gave them three points because of all your trust in Gus Edwards. And I just, I don't, I don't know what Gus Edwards has done. And again, Gus Edwards is a solid running back, but I don't know what all he's done to garner this much trust uh, from an organization that seems to trust no other running back but him. It, it's, it's just, it's just odd to me. That aside, uh, Lamar Jackson actually did what you want him to do. After that, he, he came out there. Okay, we're, we're now down. Thanks to Gus Edwards, we're down 219. Let's go score. Let's go get this touchdown. Let's go get this two-point conversion. Well, you know, we've questioned Lamar Jackson in finishing in the fourth quarter in a lot of these games, and rightfully so. He, he's had some moments where he has not come through in the fourth quarter this year when his team has needed him to, to stem the tide when the tide is turning against him in the second halves of games. In this case, Lamar Jackson did it. And it was up to this Ravens defense that had shown improvement lately to stop Jacksonville and get this win. Jacksonville had to drive over 90 yards to win this game on the last possession. And it wasn't terrible defense from the Ravens. Like I said, Trevor Lawrence showed some signs. That Trevor Lawrence on that last drive, that's the Trevor Lawrence that, that you want to see because – Again, it's not just that Trevor Lawrence is the number one overall pick. We've seen some guys who are number one overall picks. They were like, eh, you were kind of number one by default because there was no better option. But in the case of Trevor Lawrence, we're talking about somebody who was the most highly rated NFL prospect since Andrew Luck. So for a guy that has once a decade level height, that's the Trevor Lawrence we want to see. The Trevor Lawrence that's thrown with confidence. The Trevor Lawrence that's hitting pinpoint passes in tight windows. Again, not terrible defense from the Ravens. The Ravens actually came up with a sack fumble. Calais Campbell's, Campbell came through with a sack and fumble, and uh, Fortner was able to recover it for the Jaguars to keep the drive alive. So I got to give him a little credit for recovering that fumble, or else Baltimore would have won this game. But with that second chance, Trevor Lawrence took advantage and looked like uh, that generational quarterback we wanted to see. Uh, in the case of the Jaguars, because you're the underdog, because you've got Nothing to lose, basically. I love the fact that they went for two. <laughs> Forget it. We're not supposed to be in this game anyway. <laughs> they went ahead. They they just thought they had this game 27 to 20. Let's go for two. We ain't got nothing to lose. Absolutely. And again, Trevor Lawrence came through with a perfect throw on that two-point conversion. And you talked about Zay Jones. Zay Jones was brilliant in this game. You got to be concerned if you're the Raiders. Because if you're getting cooked by Zay Jones, again, Jones is solid. I appreciate what he did as a Raider. But this was the second time in Zay Jones' career he's had 100 yards, and he had 145 in this game. So if you're getting cooked like that by Zay Jones, I got news for you. Not next week, not against Denver, but 
moving forward after that, you're going to face better receivers and better passing offenses than uh, what Jacksonville brings to the table and what Zay Jones brings to the table. So uh, for him to be unstoppable against your defense is highly concerning if you're the Ravens. Uh, and uh, lastly, yeah, you talked about Justin Tucker. And, you know, if, if it's funny because if there was a question about who the greatest kicker is, and I, I don't think there's much question. I think this is one of those things that everyone kind of agrees on. But just the fact that people were looking at that 67-yard kick and thinking, wait, wait, maybe, maybe. I mean, if you saw Doug Peterson's reaction after that kick felt short, he looked like the most relieved person in the history of relief. Like, <laughs> to, have a, to have a whole sideline shook off a 67-yard field goal attempt is crazy. Like, that, that, that's as crazy as any kick that Justin Tucker has actually made. So that just speaks to how brilliant he is and uh, how, how great he is, the fact that he had people thinking that that kick had any chance, despite how high it was. If that kick was a little lower, it might have actually gone in. But even with that height to go as far as it did, it's crazy. Uh, and lastly, I'm sorry, I, I, I got to blow the whistle on the Jaguars mascot. Uh, we need mascots that are suitable for daytime television. I, I just I, I don't want my kids to be exposed to whatever's going on in Jacksonville. Your, your mascot looks like it has some type of Lyme disease or something. I, I don't understand what's up with the colors. I don't understand what's up with everything else going on there. But we just don't need to see that. I don't want to see that when I'm watching football. I don't want to see that gyrating when I see touchdowns and field goals and extra points. Get that mascot out of here. Somebody's got to step in. Jamal Williams of the Lions got fined a few weeks ago for thrusting in the end zone, and he was fully clothed. So if you're going to get fined for that, you got to get rid of mascots who are partially clothed, barely clothed, scantily clad, as the WWE used to say, and get that mascot and his gyration out of there. There's no place in the game for what Jacksonville is doing with their mascot. All right, next we'll get into the Los Angeles Chargers, who thanks to the brilliant decision-making of Brandon Staley... Stop. <laughs> pull out a 25-24 crucial win on the road against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, this is one of those games where neither team can walk away feeling great from what happened in this game. You're the Chargers, again, you won, so you'll take it. Uh, you came through when you needed to the most. Uh, you know who to go to when you needed it the most. Uh, we've talked about how Austin Eckler is the engine, is the barometer of this offense. It's no surprise that he has double-digit receptions in his game. If you look at how he's been used all year, uh, that's how this offense goes. And in the most key situation, when you've got to have a touchdown and there's absolutely no other way, that's who you go to. Um, I was disappointed. I've been talking up Isaiah Simmons, especially the last few weeks. Uh, he's, again, one of my favorite linebackers in the league. But it was Isaiah Simmons who got beat on that Austin Eckler touchdown. Again, no shame in getting beat by Eckler, but you don't like to see it happen to a guy that you like with the game on the line. And then the Chargers, of course, with the decision to go for two, uh, they went right near Isaiah Simmons' area again and an easy, uncontested throw to Gerald Everett to win this game. Uh, so just a couple of disappointing plays from Isaiah Simmons with the game on the line. I don't like to see that as a Simmons fan, but uh, the Chargers did what they needed to do at the end of this game. It was a struggle throughout the game. This was another game where the Chargers didn't make much of an effort to try to run the football, and their passing game just con continues to be limited. I mean, this is another game where you've got Justin Herbert throwing 47 passes and doesn't even really threaten the 300-yard mark. So just a lot of short throws, 
a lot of throws where you're not getting much run after the catch. Uh, Herbert did have a nice throw in stride to DeAndre Carter, but it was, it was on a play where literally nobody covered DeAndre Carter. So outside of completely uncontested throws, and it's not even like he got opened by, you know, some clever design. He just got lost and somebody blew an assignment on that play. So that's what the Chargers are relying on. And if you don't blow coverage, uh, then the Chargers offense just seems to lack explosiveness. So it's it's difficult for this team to maintain drives. This That's part of why this team is constantly finding themselves having to go for fourth downs or two-point conversions, all this other stuff. It's just it's just too hard for this team to, to generate easy scoring opportunities. Other problem for the Chargers is their run defense. It seems like every year we talk about the Chargers. They can't stop the run. They can't stop the run. Uh, they've Every year they go and get somebody who's supposed to stop the run, and every year they can't stop the run anyway. Uh, James Conner had 120 yards rushing in this game. It's Conner's first time as a Cardinal running for over 100 yards. So a Cardinal's rushing attack, which is the ultimate three yards in a cloud of dust <laughs> rushing attack, looked good, looked slightly explosive against this defensive front. That's going to continue to be a massive problem for the Chargers. Keep in mind, they got Josh Jacobs <laughs> that they got to worry about next week. And if and if they look this bad against James Conner, again, Mr. Three yards ahead and fall straight forward. What happens when a legitimately explosive running back comes your way? The Chargers are going to have to fix that, but how? <laughs> you know, they, they can't switch personnel at this point. So good luck with that. Uh, as for the Cardinals, uh, they're in a similar boat offensively. Uh, if there, things are just too difficult, particularly when they don't get the ball to DeAndre Hopkins, and Hopkins only had a handful of catches in this game, they didn't go to him as often as they probably should have in this game. Uh, he did have a catch and run touchdown where he had a nice spin in the middle of the field. But if, if it's not DeAndre Hopkins, it's it's difficult for this offense. Uh, Marquise Brown is back in this in, in this lineup. They didn't have Rondell Moore. Marquise Brown is, has become just a just a gadget guy, a short outlet guy. Uh, every game you look up and it's the, kind of the similar stat line. It's it's six catches for 40 yards for almost every week. So for somebody who is ex, as explosive as Marquise Brown is as an athlete, for somebody who was used as a downfield threat often with Baltimore, a team that allegedly can't throw the football, in this offense, all you're seeing is Marquise Brown going sideways. And so it seems to be a waste of his speed in this offense. Uh, when you look at the Cardinals, they're now 1-10 in 10 in their last 11 games in Arizona. So this game, finding a way to blow it at home, that's what Arizona does. You know, the home field advantage does not exist for this team. The one game they did win at home was uh, the infamous Andy Dalton game where they got back-to-back -back pick sixes. If that's what you need to win a game at home, it ain't like the Saints are good, but you needed back-to-back -back pick sixes to win one game at home over the last, you know, we're going on a full year of or more of this losing at home, then that's not a good sign. And... I've got to blow the whistle on one of our favorite coaches, Cliff Kingsbury. Somebody explain to me, you're up 10 to 7 in the second quarter. And you see that the Chargers offense isn't going that great. And quite frankly, neither is yours. You have a fourth and one at their own 35. Why you feel compelled to go for that, I don't know. But if you're going to go for it, I just talked about how this Defense is so bad at stopping the run for the Chargers that they can't even keep James Conner under 100 yards. Why do you not run the ball? You need one yard. <laughs> You're getting four, five, six yards of carry every time. 
So you don't do that. Instead, you throw a 50-50 ball to DeAndre Hopkins, which is not the worst idea in the world. But why are you throwing a ball 30 yards down the field on fourth and one? You need a yard, a yard. Instead, you challenge the best defender on the Chargers. Certainly with uh, Joey Bosa out, you're challenging the best defender on the Chargers defense in Derwin James. And Lois, and shockingly, Derwin James comes up with the interception. Now, him catching the ball actually helped you because they, they didn't get the field position they should have got. But it's just a stupid decision. Don't go for fourth and one at your own 35 in the second quarter when you have the lead, when the other team is struggling offensively. Don't do it. And if you're going to do it, attack their weakness, not their strength. Do something right, Cliff Kingsbury. I'm asking you to do one thing right. Get your system uneffed schematically as Kyler Murray would say. That's what I'm asking you to do. So I've said all year, and you guys know if you've been listening to the podcast, how much I hate unnecessary going forward on fourth down, unnecessary two-point conversions. Um, I didn't want to talk about in the Jags game because I felt like the Jags two-point conversion made sense, right? You know you're not better than the Ravens, so you go for two for the win. Kind of like what the Giants did against the Titans in week one. Wasn't mad at that. Uh, I didn't think the Giants would have seven wins at this point. But again, not mad at, the, at Dayball's decision as a new head coach, trying to set a tone with his team, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I get all that. What I don't get is when you are, or you should feel like you're the better team, um, going for it, going for two, I, I understand you're on the road, but still, it just, it, I, it, I don't know. I mean, maybe that got Staley some respect in the locker room. Like, I trust you guys to get this and win, but I just don't like it. I don't like going for two when you should be the better team. Um, it, it worked out, so he looks smart. But if you don't get it and you lose that game, uh, yeah, that's that's a bad look. So um, definitely lucky that he won that that he won that game, um, that would have been a real bad loss. That would have been a real bad loss for the Chargers. Um, Herbert um, continues to look like a mediocre quarterback. I'm not saying that he hasn't made pretty throws and he's made great pat passes. And and as Julius talked about, he made a nice throw to DeAndre Carter for a touchdown. But I feel like he's an overhyped Trevor Lawrence, kind of, right? Like Like, he just... He's not showing me anything that that I'm like, this wows me. This is amazing. You are a thousand times better than a, another mediocre quarterback, right? Like, I could say he's top 15, maybe top 10 quarterback in the NFL, but honestly, once you get out of the top three of quarterbacks in the NFL, it's all kind of muddled and in the same. Would I have him over Daniel Jones? Absolutely. Give, give me Justin Herbert any day over Daniel Jones, but that's not saying much. Like, I, I just don't understand the fascination with Justin. Is it because he has a big arm? Is it because he, quote-unquote, looks the part of a franchise quarterback? I just don't get what people have seen him do um, that makes them so enamored with with this guy. And I and I don't I don't dislike Justin Herbert. I, I don't. I think he can be a good quarterback. I also think that he has Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, and Keenan Allen. Obviously, they all haven't been healthy at the same time this year, so that's probably made the offense look worse, too, but let's be honest. If Anthony Lynn or any other head coach was the head coach of the Chargers right now, they'd be talking about, is this his final year? If they don't make the playoffs this year, what's what are the Chargers going to do? And I feel like I haven't heard that about Brandon Staley. And Brandon Staley has made some terrible coaching decisions 
for the last two years. Most notably against the Raiders when they were just going to take the tie in overtime. They both walk into the playoffs. But nope. Let's let's go for it. Let's just do all all this stuff. Like so he just makes bad decisions. He made bad decisions last year against the Chiefs. Um, and I just I don't think he's a good head coach. Um, same with Kingsbury. Blowing the whistle on Kingsbury. He just makes terrible decisions every week. His system clearly doesn't work in the NFL. The the Arizona Cardinals roster on paper is way too talented to to have as many losses as they do. They didn't even start out hot this year, and that's Kingsbury's normally his calling card. Be 9-0, 8-0, and then fall apart or back into the playoffs. But <clears throat> they're not even going to do that this year. So I think he's on the hot seat. I think this is his last year in Arizona. Um, looks like Kyler is kind of starting to go against him. Um, and that's not a good look when you're starting quarterback that you just gave the bag and, and, and gave all these rules and you can't do X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, is starting to go against you. DeAndre Hopkins is starting to not like Kyler Murray. That's not a good look for the Cardinals. So they, they don't have to do something in the in the offseason. And maybe Kingsbury makes it to the end of the year. Maybe he doesn't, but I just don't – I think his days are numbered in Arizona. Um, but this game was not a fun game to watch. I mean, at the end it got a little exciting because of the two-point conversion and, and the last second touchdown, but it was just pretty much bad football all the way around. Um, very interesting stat uh, I learned today is that Austin Eckler has 400-something yards receiving. He has 590 yards after the catch. What that means is he's catching the ball behind the line of scrimmage most of the time and then running for his yards because he has 100 more yards after the catch than he has receiving yards. So that man is literally doing it all uh, for the Chargers. He is their offense Julius and I talk about this every week. I feel like when Austin Eckler gets the ball, when they get him involved in the game, they're normally winning the games. When they kind of go away from him and try to make Justin Herbert the hero, they're losing the games. And that almost happened this week. Next, we'll get into the shootout of the week where my Las Vegas Raiders, for the second week in a row, pull off an overtime win via touchdown. A 40-34 to win over the Seattle Seahawks. And when you watch this game, you know, people want to know why I'm so hard on my own team, why I'm so hard on Derek Carr. This is why. If the Raiders had the type of offensive supporting cast that the Giants had, that the Broncos had, that the Bears had, I wouldn't be mad with how the season's going. But you have an offense that is capable of this. This is why I am hard on this team. Because at its ceiling, you can have this type of performance. And there's no reason. I'm not saying you got to put up 40 every week. But there is no reason that I should watch any Raiders game, and I don't care who the defense is, and watch this offense stall for two and three quarters at a time like I've seen at times this year. This is what I'm talking about right here. Now, the game didn't start promising. Anytime you receive the opening kickoff, and you're down 7 nothing, 30 seconds into the game, that's normally not a good omen. Derek Carr's first pass of this game was intercepted, and at that point I'm thinking, you know, here we go. By the way, blowing the whistle on the refs, who on that interception return, missed Daryl Taylor coming off the bench onto the field to throw blocks during the Quandry Diggs interception return. I mean, only, only against the Raiders 
that a guy come off the bench and completely be missed by the referees. You have a whole sideline judge. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> I just don't understand how you can miss somebody coming onto the field. But I guess when you play the Raiders, you might as well try to put 14, 15 guys on the field. You can clearly get away with 12 guys against the, on the field against the Raiders. Keep trying to push the limit. So but bad. Yeah, you start so off, bad. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. But you start off the game with that happening immediately. Uh, Kenneth Walker runs it in for a touchdown, and all of a sudden you're thinking, you know, here we go. The, the crowd's into it. You know the Seattle crowd takes pride in being in the game. Uh, so you've got everything going against you early on. But then came the Josh Jacobs show. And Josh Jacobs ran like a guy who is pissed off with the organization that he's not getting paid beyond this year at the moment. Uh, and and I, can't, I can't even project running back contracts at this point because the position is so, so undervalued. Uh, but Josh Jacobs ran like somebody that was pissed off. He ran like somebody who was tired of losing. Uh, he ran inspired. This, this was, and it's just fitting that this happens almost 35 years to the day of Bo Jackson having his infamous game in Seattle where he completely destroyed Brian Bosworth's career. Uh, that, that's what Josh Jacobs looked like in this game. You're talking about 39 touches, <laughs> which is, I, I just can't think of the last time I've seen that workload, even for somebody like Derrick Henry in an NFL game, at over 300 yards from scrimmage, including the dagger, an 86-yard touchdown run in overtime. Jacobs ran with power. Jacobs ran with speed. Uh, he, he, he just looks like a different guy. And years past, Josh Jacobs was on the injury report every single week, it felt like. And it was 50-50 if he was going to be healthy enough to play. This year, I don't, I don't know if he's doing something different with his body or what, but uh, he just looks so much more explosive than he has in years past. Uh, Patrick will talk about the fantasy football implications of, of Josh Jacobs, but uh, he was completely special in this game. And I was, just, I was just proud to see him do what he did. And so when you look at having a running back who's capable of having this type of performance, and, and no, you're not going to get 300 yards every week. You're probably never going to do it again. But the fact that you're even capable of doing this, and you combine that with the fact that Derek Carr, for the first time all season, threw three touchdowns in a game. And none of them were to Devontae Adams. So you have an offense that is capable. And that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. If you can score 40 points without Devontae Adams scoring, there is no reason why this offense can't consistently be at 24, 27 points each and every week. This is what I want to see moving forward. Uh, shout out to Max Crosby. Max Crosby did Max Crosby things. Another sack and a half as he continues to be a one-man pass rush machine. Uh, also in overtime, he didn't get a sack on the play, but he uh, hit Geno Smith on a third down play to end the drive. Uh, basically forcing his pass to go wayward. And so Max Crosby not just compiling stats, but coming up with big plays and big moments. I talked about that with Miles Garrett earlier. Stars make plays not just to compile stats, but they make plays in crucial situations. Max Crosby did that for us in this game. Chandler Jones recovered a fumble. That's the first good thing I can say about Chandler Jones all year. It was a fumble that was unforced. It was a botched handoff in the backfield, so nobody forced the fumble. But Chandler Jones recovered it, and it was crucial because Seattle was going to score on that possession. They were already in field goal range at the time of the fumble with one of the most reliable kickers in football right now in Jason Myers. And so they were going to at least score three on that drive. And Chandler Jones comes up uh, with the fumble to uh, preserve the tie at that point in time. So thank you for finally doing something. Now, maybe try to get a sack, Chandler Jones. But uh, 
moving on to Seattle, I mean, again, just just too proud with my Raiders right now. Uh, just just happy that they found a way to win this game and found a way the last couple of weeks to win games that they haven't been winning to start the season as far as close games with the game on the line at the end. Uh, as far as Seattle, uh, the one thing I will say about them, of course, I'm going to focus on the Raiders here, but with Seattle, Geno Smith uh, had an interception and a fumble in this game. The fumble, again, was on a botched handoff. So we're talking about now six turnovers in the last five games for Geno Smith. And Geno Smith has been playing exceptionally clean football for most of the season. Through the first six games of the season, Geno Smith only had two turnovers. So Smith is still extremely accurate with the football. I mean, if he, if he throws it, it rarely hits the ground these days. But the turnovers have started to creep back into the picture in, in recent weeks for Geno Smith. So it's just something to keep an eye on. It doesn't mean that the Cinderella ride is over for Geno Smith, but it just means that there's some tightening up to do. Because if he doesn't protect the football, this team's already been surpassed in the division by the 49ers. This team's already been surpassed in the wild card by the entire NFC East. This team needs to pick it up and turn it around. We're seeing this defense, this young defense has continued to oscillate, be up and down the way you would expect a young defense to be. They've shown signs of greatness. They've shown that they can create a lot of turnovers, but this defense has not shown that it, they can consistently stop people. So it's going to be up to the offense to win games for Seattle, which means Geno Smith cannot turn the football over the way he has over the last five weeks. Lastly, I'm blowing the whistle on Amir Abdullah. He scored a touchdown in this game. That's one of the three touchdowns that Derek Carr threw. You can't go around throwing karate kicks. He's throwing hook kicks. He's throwing jump roundhouse kicks with Quandry Diggs right next to him. By the way, Quandry Diggs had both interceptions in this game, playing the most important position in football, playmaking safety. You didn't think I was going to forget that, did you? But Amir Abdullah, you're throwing kicks with people around you in the end zone. If you can, there's plenty of end zone that you could have ran into and been by yourself to throw kicks at people. Leave the kicks at home. If you're going to kick anything, kick the Jaguars mascot with those kicks. Other than that, don't kick when you're on the football field. Thank you very much. Yeah, shout out to Julius's Raiders for getting another W. Um, I don't like it because it means the Giants are going to lose. But, hey, two-game win streak, feeling good. Josh Jacobs got over 50 fantasy points for me, so I'm happy about that. Um, <clears throat> steal of my draft. I got him in, like, the ninth round, eighth round, something great, something ridiculous. Um so anyway, um, moving on to the game again, 40 to 34 crazy game. Uh, Geno Smith had some bad turnovers, but he made some great passes in this game as well. Um, Tyler Lockett just routed up Rockison in this game, made a nice catch for a touchdown. Um, see, I'm not mad Seattle lost because the Giants lost. So as long as Seattle keeps losing, the Giants can keep losing and then potentially make the playoffs. So that's that's a good thing. Um, but, um, Raiders is a good win for them. Uh, they just kept feeding Josh Jacobs. We kind of talked about this, uh, four or five weeks ago when Josh Jacobs had another big game like this. It wasn't this type of game. This was a huge game, but we were just like, this is how the Raiders need to win. Feed Josh Jacobs. He's having a great year. Don't try and put it all on Devonte Adams and Derek Carr. And look what happens. Josh Jacobs, 86 yards to the house. It's a walk off. That has to be a great feeling. Um, again, big big plays by Vegas's defense to get them to punt it after they got the ball first in overtime. Um, Seattle's defense 
is playing like a young defense, as Julius talked about, you know. But the good thing about their defense is, even though they've been giving up points and yards and things like that, and this was this is not a good game to make this example because they gave up 40 points, but they still make turnovers, and turnovers can change a game in a heartbeat. And that's how you can win a game um, that you shouldn't have been able to win, and that's how you can kind of, you know, get some of these get points back on the board quickly, and that's the good thing about their defense. They're very opportunistic. They they get a lot of turnovers. Um, the bad thing about this defense is they're young, they make mistakes, and they give up big plays. So, um, for example, the Josh Jacobs touchdown. He ran up the middle, got through one guy, and there was nobody else near him. So, um, you know, don't know what the defensive play call was on that one, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't let this guy run up the middle and get a touchdown. So, um, Pete Carroll's on a hell of a job in Seattle this year. Uh, no one had them, you know, even kind of competing this year. So good on him for, for, like I said, playing, playing, having them playing hard. And Geno Smith has been a revelation at that position, uh, this year. Uh, no one saw that coming. Uh, Vegas finally looked like a team that they should have looked like at the beginning of the season, but haven't. Um, but this game was exciting to watch this game. If you like offense and if you like quick scores and firepower and all that good stuff, this, this was a fun game to watch for sure. Moving on to a game that no one probably watched because we already knew the outcome before it even started. We didn't even have to play this game was the Los Angeles Rams at the Kansas city chiefs. This was a Rams team without Stafford. Uh, this was a Rams team that, you know, obviously no Cooper cup. No one probably thought they were going to win this game and they didn't. Uh, wasn't even close. Mahomes goes for 300, um, and his top receiver only had 50-something yards. So uh, this was he spread the ball around, spread the wealth, used a lot of guys on the team, um, and the Chiefs just looked dominant uh, in, in a game that they didn't really have to do much. Um, biggest news for the Rams, who aren't going to make the playoffs, they look terrible, uh, is Aaron Donald looks like he had a high ankle sprain. So now your best defender on top of your best player on offense and Cooper Cup is now out of the game, out of out for a couple weeks. So um, I'm sad about Cooper Cup. I had him in a lot of my um, fantasy teams, and you know playoffs for best ball anyway are starting uh, after week 14. So I got two more weeks to lock up a playoff spot and moving into round two. And not having your top receiver is gonna suck. But um, you know. This game kind of went as we expected. I don't really need to sit down here and deep dive into this game. You know, there's not much analysis needed. The better team just dominated. That's going to happen um, whenever you're starting Perkins at quarterback for the Rams. And and Sean McVay didn't even look like he was comfortable letting him try to throw. So, you know, you don't, you don't have a running game with the Rams. Y- your defense isn't going to hold the Chiefs to under 10 points. So, you know, this game was just over, like I said, before it even started. Um, honestly, I know McVay won a Super Bowl last year, um, but, and he's not going to be on the hot seat, but, you know, his coaching decisions and his offense don't look that good whenever his guys aren't there and whenever Cooper Cup's not there to bail you out. And, um, and Odell Beckham and all of them are there to bail you out. So it's just very interesting. Uh, to see this team struggle, even when Stafford and Cup were healthy, this team was struggling. Um, you know, and you trade away all your draft picks and everything like that. So, look, they got what they wanted with the Super Bowl last year. 
I don't expect them to be very good for the next few years. Um, and I, I know their window's closing because Stafford's only getting older. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Rams dynasty, if you even want to call it that, is pretty much over for this the window because Aaron Donald's not getting any younger. He almost retired after last year. I think this might be his final year, depending on if he thinks they can bounce back, you know, next year. But Chiefs, Chiefs keep rolling. They're the best team in the NFL. Um, and as long as Patrick Mahomes stays healthy, this team is going to roll through uh, into the playoffs. Another game, and we've talked about this a couple times with some of the matchups uh, throughout yesterday. It's just one of those games where you can't really draw a whole lot from this. Uh, we know that the Chiefs are a good team. There's, there's literally nothing they can prove against going up against the Rams skeleton crew. So, you know, you look at the Rams, like you said, no Matthew Stafford, no Cooper Cup. And, you know, even with Stafford, if you don't have Cooper Cup, you don't have much of an offense with the Rams. The entire offensive line seems like it's injured for the Rams. Uh, you know, defensively, like you said, Aaron Donald gets hurt in this game. You're, you're just you're missing everybody. You, every time you look up, it's another key guy going down. It's just just one of those seasons where you say it's just not our year and we just don't care anymore. You add to that the fact that Daryl Henderson Jr. was released for reasons that I still have not found out yet. And you see a team that's completely given up. The running back you do have is a guy who wanted to be traded and a guy who tried to quit on the team, basically. So uh, it's a complete mess with the Rams. Uh, you talked about Bryce Perkins. I think he attempted five passes in the first half. The Rams had a series where they ran the ball three straight times, got the fourth down, and had their punter throw a pass for the first half. The, the, this team literally believes it is punter throwing the football more than it's starting quarterback. That, that's how bad it's gotten with the Rams. So when you consider that state of affairs in Los Angeles, it, it's it's over. This team, as constructed right now, is probably even worse than their three and eight record would indicate. That that's how bad it's gotten with the Rams. Once you take the Texans out of the equation and maybe the Broncos, this is the worst team in football. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is the, the worst team in the NFC. And that's saying a lot when you look around the NFC and you have a whole division with a losing record. So, but there, there's no team right now that looks worse. You could make a car argument for the Bears, maybe with with Justin Fields hurt, but the Rams are as bad as it gets in the NFC. Uh, so with that said, there's just not a whole lot to gauge from the Chiefs here. Uh, Travis Kelsey had a touchdown in this game. We just ran through, the, just easily got away from Jalen Ramsey and then just ran through the middle of the field. Nobody seemed to want the smoke. Uh, Darian Kendrick almost escorted Kelsey to the end zone rather than try to make a tackle at the end. And that just showed you the uh, attitude that the Rams were going to play with in this game. After that, uh, the thing you get concerned about with the Chiefs is, and this is where they kind of remind me of like the Golden State Warriors in the NFL, in a sense that when you watch the Warriors against subpar teams, especially on the road, in this case the Chiefs were at home, but when you watch the Warriors sometimes against subpar teams, you see them start doing goofy stuff. <laughs> you, see, you see them start doing stuff where you're like, really? That, that, that's what you're doing? And that's what I felt like the Chiefs did in this game. I felt like they lost focus once – they realized that, you know, 10 points was going to put this game away or 13 points was going to put this game away. Uh, Kansas City was not effective at all in the red zone in this game. They settled for four field goals in the red zone. That is not Kansas City-like. Uh, Patrick Mahomes threw a silly interception in the end zone where he was trying to do a no-look for no reason. And I feel like he was just trying to come up with things to try to test himself. 
I was waiting for him to throw a left-handed behind the back pass or something. Again, we, again, something you see with the Warriors, but they start throwing out of, you know behind the back passes out of bounds or skip passes 80 feet, stuff like that. That's what the Chiefs were doing in this game. So, you know, it's one of those things where I'm I'm not concerned because I, I get why. Like, I, I would like to see Kansas City do what Miami did, right? I'd like to see them come in, put up 30 points, and get their starters out of the game. I, I would have liked to see them do that. But uh, like I said, they just weren't focused in this game. They were trying to invent ways to keep the game entertaining. And uh, they should be much, much better in the red zone moving forward than they were in this game. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco continues to hit his stride as the clear lead running back for this team as far as the running the football goes. Uh, the Chiefs also dusted off dusted off Ronald Jones II. I, I truly believe that they didn't issue Ronald Jones a number. Like, like that. that's how little he's been used this year. I don't know if he's been active for a game this year. So when number two came in the game, I didn't even know who it was. But uh, Ronald Jones is second, ladies and gentlemen. He's he's uh, back in a part of that backfield for how long? I don't know because apparently Melvin Gordon's going to Kansas City, so uh, that probably takes the little bit of shine that Ronald Jones had away. But at least for one game, Ronald Jones can say he became a Chief. Uh, again, just just nothing to, to gain for Kansas City in this game. Uh, they'll go and face Cincinnati next, and what should be a much tougher game. That's going to be a highly anticipated game, of course, with. Uh, the Bengals and what they did to the Chiefs in the playoffs last year. And that comeback, the Chiefs are going to have to have a lot more focus next week, but I think they will. I think they started looking forward to that game while this game was going on. So that's going to be a fun game next week. Uh, as for the Rams, they have to go to Seattle. You know Seattle's going to be upset. And as bad as Seattle's defense can look at times, if this is the offense that Seattle's going to, that uh, the Rams are going to bring to Seattle, uh, you can expect maybe four or five turnovers uh, from that Seahawks defense. We'll get into another game where it's hard to really gauge anything from. This San Francisco 49ers with a cakewalk 13 to nothing win over the New Orleans Saints. And uh, again, what, what do you say? Uh, the Saints, it's it's a bit ironic. You know, they, they benched Jameis Winston. They have seemed loyal to Andy Dalton. And again, I, I don't know what Jameis Winston's health status is or anything like that, but even after benching Jameis Winston for now the majority of the season, guess who leads the NFL in turnovers? The New Orleans Saints. Now, that's not all on Dalton, but it's just ironic that, you know, you bench Jameis Winston because he doesn't protect the football, and then apparently nobody on this team protects the football. Uh, Alvin Kamara had two crucial fumbles in this game. Uh, one fumble was near the goal line. Uh, that was forced on a hard hit by Tyler Noah Hufanga, playing the most important position in football, playmaking safety. Uh, comes up with the forced fumble there to to kill that scoring opportunity for the Saints. And it just seems like the Saints, every time they thought they were going to have a little something going, it just didn't happen for this team. Uh, they were able to move the ball a couple of times in this game and just could not finish drives at all. The one thing I will give the Saints credit for, and it's not like they did anything good, but this is an integrity of the game kind of thing. The Saints had an opportunity with six minutes left to kick a short field goal and avoid being shut out. It wouldn't help them competitively because they still would have been down two scores. But they could have said, we're just going to do this just to be petty, just to ruin the shutout. I actually give them credit for going for it, trying to score, and saying, you know what, Like, let's, let's try to be competitive. We need a touchdown in this situation if we actually want to win this game. Uh, they get sacked. Nick Bosa comes up with the big hit to make the play on that sack. But I just appreciate the fact that they even tried to go for it there 
and were more worried about trying to win a game than worrying about, oh, no, we, we don't want to be shut out. Your, your offense played poorly enough where a shutout is what it is. I'm just glad they kind of did that for the integrity of the game. Uh, moving over to San Francisco, this is one where if you're the defense, you feel great because anytime you get a shutout on anybody and you're forcing multiple turnovers and you're doing all these things, you got to feel good if you're the defense. If you're the offense, uh, you don't feel so good because what what did you really do well in this game? Not much. Uh, you got minimal production out of Jimmy Garoppolo. And again, I, I keep looking at Jimmy Garoppolo and Taylor Heineke and kind of seeing almost the same thing. I feel like Garoppolo is a better version of Heineke, but both of these guys don't play nearly as well as their winning percentage would suggest. I'll say that much. Uh, Garoppolo throws one touchdown in this game. It's a touchdown that was deflected. It wasn't was like it was a good pass. It's just luck. If, if Tyron Matthew was an inch or two taller, it's probably an interception. Um, but Garoppolo gets away with it, uh, as he often does. And, you know, he relies on that defense that has now shut its opponent out in four consecutive second halves. So it's nice if you're Jimmy Garoppolo and you go into the second halves of these games knowing, eh, we don't even have to score. That's, I want to see, again, I want to see this defense playing at this level, going up against the Miami Dolphins offense, playing at the level they're playing. Because I, I want to see that strength against strength matchup and then see who's better there. Because that's going to be the first real test for this 49ers defense in a while. And this 49ers defense is, is for real. I believe that. But I just want to see what it looks like. This dominant defense going against that explosive offense, that's what I'm looking forward to much more so than I look forward to the 49ers beating up on a team like the Saints who are starting to fade even in a division that's begging you to hang around in. Uh, the, the bad news, of course, for San Francisco is Elijah Mitchell once again injured. Uh, once again, it's a knee issue. It seems like it's always an injury with Mitchell. It seems like it's usually a knee injury with Mitchell. Uh, he's back on injured reserve. He's scheduled to miss the remainder of the season. And if he does, he will have missed 19 out of 34 career games due to injury. Uh, this makes the Christian McCaffrey move look even smarter, but McCaffrey's dealing with some knee issues of his own. Uh, not nearly as serious as Mitchell's knee issues, but and all of a sudden, you, you almost wish you didn't trade Jeff Wilson at this point uh, because you have two injury-prone running backs who are starting to, one's done, essentially, and the other's a little beat up, which you expect. So uh, don't know what the insurance policy is right now for the 49ers. Did they have to dust off somebody they didn't want to use or they go back and you know get a Tevin Coleman or something like they've done before? I don't know, but uh, that that's the one thing you're concerned about if you're San Francisco, a team that wants to run the ball uh, early and often. Uh, you you worry about the running back situation and uh, what's going to happen there moving forward. So that's, that's the one down thing for the 49ers. But overall, like I said, if you're the defense, you're satisfied, you're looking forward to that challenge of Miami. And if you're the Saints, I, I don't know what you do. You Again, this team looks cooked, looks completely done. But – Again, they're one game out in the win column in their division, as sad as that is. Yeah, another game I don't need to talk much about. Um, 13 to nothing. 49ers did what they needed to do to win. It wasn't an impressive win. I mean, the defense was impressive for the 49ers, right? But the offense was eh. And like Joya said, Garoppolo threw a touchdown, but it was more of like a gift because Matthew had a hand on it and it just fell right into right into Jones's hand so you know it's it's just interesting to to watch you know 
these guys play. Um, I feel like, and I'm sure most people do, that um, the 49ers offense should be a lot better than what it is. But it's it's not. So it's just confusing. You know, it's just... And is it Garoppolo? Is it Scheme? Is it Kyle Shanahan? Because sometimes I feel like Shanahan just doesn't trust his playmakers to make plays. And Brandon Ayuk had another decent game, and I'm glad that he's playing well. I'm really sad about the Elijah Mitchell injury because I feel like he was starting to get going again. And the one-two punch between him and McCaffrey I thought was going to be lethal. Um, Once again, when injuries has been the... San Francisco 49ers Achilles heel for years. Every year, for four or five years now, we've been saying, if they're just a healthy team, they'd probably make a lot of noise. And the fact that you're trading away running backs that are doing well for you, it wasn't even like Jeff Wilson was playing bad. He was playing good. Um, because you you thought Elijah Mitchell was coming back and you got Christian McCaffrey, it's just confusing because you don't know if these guys are going to stay healthy. So I don't, I don't understand the thought process behind it um but here we are and here's Mitchell getting hurt and he's most likely out for the season and if McCaffrey can sell healthy that's great but who's the next man up like Julia said is it Coleman is it you got rid of Trey Sermon early too to the to the Eagles so you know just you got rid of a lot of running backs this year um and you didn't bring back Mostert and you know because he he went in free agency so it's just very interesting the approach by this team, but they get the W. They're they're in sole possession of first in their division. They most likely will run away with it. Seattle's starting to look like the Seattle we thought they would look like. Uh, it's just like the Giants, um, but you never know with San Francisco. I like them as a team. I think the Mitchell injury is is a big one though. We'll keep an eye on that. Um, as for New Orleans, I still don't understand why Andy Dalton's starting. Zero points. You should not be a starter in the NFL. You should not be a star in the NFL if you can't put even a field goal. People are kicking 58-yard field goals these days. Tucker almost made a 67-yarder. Like, you couldn't even get three points on the board as an offensive unit. And I understand San Francisco's defense is good, but still, they give up points. Look at the Chiefs game, and I'm not trying to compare the Saints to the Chiefs, but you you can score on them. So... The fact that you got zero points, I don't know why Winston's not in there. If he's not healthy, I'd rather them say that than he's a healthy scratch and he's going to be the backup because Andy Dalton is, we know who Andy Dalton is. Winston is the biggest upside, potentially could be a franchise quarterback for you. He was a number one overall pick, and yes, he had turnover issues in Tampa Bay, but he also was thrown for 5,000 yards, which people seem to love nowadays, and he was thrown for 30 touchdowns. Do I understand he threw for 30 interceptions? I do, but... If you can control that kind of, you want the big playability that he also brings to the table. I'm sure he would have given you more than zero points. At least you would hope so. So, who knows? Um, I'm not going to talk too much more about New Orleans. Like I said, I I just, you know, I'm not impressed with uh, Dennis Allen being a head coach again. I wasn't impressed with him when he was the head coach at the Raiders. So, uh, just not impressed with his second go-around as a head coach as well. I had a lot of hope for New Orleans. They could still win their division, uh, not likely with how they're playing, but um, not impressed. Not impressed with with anything they did this this week. Moving on to the Monday night game of Green Bay at Philly, and another game that I did not think would be a forty to thirty something game like the Raiders in Seattle. Um, <laughs> this turned in. I mean, it 
the score was suggested it was a shootout, but it was kind of over. Uh, Jordan Love came in and made a nice pass and and got a touchdown to Christian Watson and and made the score look better than what it was. But um, you know, in a game where Jalen Hurts led with passing yards with 153 and it to be 40 to 33, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, he also almost had 200 yards rushing though. He had 157 yards rushing for a quarterback. So. Um, you know, Philly needs to be concerned about their defense. Um, ever since Jordan Davis got hurt, people have just been able to run through them. Um, their secondary is starting to give up big plays. Uh, there was CJ Gardner Johnson got hurt, so we'll see how serious that is. Uh, his backup Blankenship did come in and uh, get a pick, but uh, they're getting up some big plays in this game. Um, so that's concerning for the for the defense. Uh you can't I mean I guess I could sit here and nitpick uh but they're 10 and 1. Um so I'm not going to sit here and and nitpick them too much but um you know that the injuries on the defense are starting to pile up and 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 we've seen them give up a lot of points to Detroit early in the year when their defense was fully healthy. So this is something to keep an eye on because the offense put up 40 points this week, but there's the times when the Eagles offense slows down and aren't putting points on the board, like in the commanders game. So, um, the Goddard injury is, is, is affecting the offense. Again, Jalen Hurts only had 153 yards passing. So, um, the running game for the Eagles kind of took this game over. And again, a uh, green Bay defense that I thought would, kind of lead this team to victory has given up a ton of points the last few weeks and hasn't just played as well as I thought they would this year. Um, but Jalen Hurts looks like a legit MVP candidate. Again, I think it's Patrick Mahomes to lose. Um, I think Mahomes is way far out in front, but you know, if Hurts keeps putting up performances like this, like I said, I know he didn't put up a lot of passing yards, but 157 yards as a quarterback and 157 yards rushing as anybody, a receiver, running back, quarterback, uh, is impressive. So, um, you know, Hertz did everything he needed to do to win this game. He had some nice throws. Uh, the one to Quez Watkins, uh, right before half, uh, was a huge throw. Uh, it was right on the money too. Um, so, you know, Hertz just keeps winning games. Uh, Eagles keep winning. And Green Bay keeps losing, and their season is is essentially over. I think it's time to start Jordan Love. Um, A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones both had pretty nice games. A.J. Dillon had a really nice run for a touchdown where he broke a bunch of tackles. So did Miles Sanders. All the running backs in this game were going off uh, from both sides of of the ball. So um, if you you liked running and if you like running attacks, uh, this this was the game for you because there was a lot of broken tackles. There was a lot of hard running and, and, and... this game was actually a pretty exciting game to watch uh, for a Sunday night game. So we've had a couple bad Sunday night games, but this one was actually actually really good, to, a fun one to watch. You nailed the main storyline in this game, uh, obviously outside of the, the Rodgers injury, of course, but uh, the main theme of this game, I should say, is running the football. And the Philadelphia Eagles came out this game and ran for 360 yards as a team. I think they actually ran for about 363. That's including a kneel down at the end of the game. So you lost a yard off of that. But uh, if you give up 360 yards rushing in a game, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see what the record is when you do that. I'm, I'm guessing you lose a lot more than you win if you give up 360 yards rushing. I don't know who is responsible for 
for the scouting report for the Packers. I mean, somebody must have told him that Jalen Hurts can't run. <laughs> I mean, it, it, was, it was just too easy. Jalen Hurts had 100 rushing yards in the first quarter of this game. And when you looked at it, you know, we've talked about Jalen Hurts runs to contact and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, he did some of that in this game. But the, the big runs were just runs where he just just casually jogged out of the pocket and nobody's there. And he's like, okay, I'll, I'll take 20 yards. I'll take 30 yards. Oh, there's nobody on the sideline. I'll take 50 yards. I mean, that's horrendous. Horrendous defense. I mean, the Packers play like a team who has never heard of Jalen Hurts before. And I just didn't know what was going on with that. And it was to the uh, right. As, it wasn't even to the left. They were they were rollouts to the right. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay, just, just going to leave him alone. I know Jalen Hurts does like to, to move to the right to pass, but, I mean, he's not, he's not incapable of running to his right. I mean, I, just don't, I don't know what that was about. But uh, the Packers made no effort to resist Jalen Hurts running the football. And if you're going to give him, again, 20, 30-yard runs, and I'm not even exaggerating, without being touched, then you're asking him to get smoked by this offense, and the Packers' defense was literally ran over by this offense. Uh, I continue to get concerned that every time it's a third and short or certainly fourth and short situation, that this team lines up literally in a rugby formation and just throws Jalen Hurts into the pile. I just, I, I look at their roster, I see a guy like Tyree Jackson, who is playing tight end for the Eagles, but was a college quarterback, is six foot seven, is 250 pounds. If you're going to do these scrums, why not use him? He knows how to take a snap. He's, he's a quarterback. Uh, throw him in the scrum, let him get beat up. You know, if, if you lose him, you'll be fine. If you lose Jalen Hurts, all this great season you're having, all this 10-1 and one start and everything else is for nothing if Jalen Hurts goes down. So I, I just don't understand why you continue to risk him in these situations. My mind immediately thinks back to a couple years ago where Patrick Mahomes dislocated his knee on a quarterback sneak, and the Chiefs season was derailed from there. Even when he came back, he didn't look the same. And I just don't. I just wouldn't do it with, with Jalen Hurts. That, that's just me. I, and that's, that's nothing against Hurts. I know he's capable of doing it. Uh, they converted every time they ran that rugby scrum play, but I'm just not comfortable with throwing my franchise quarterback, and that's what Hurts looks like now. Uh, I'm not comfortable with throwing my franchise quarterback into into a pile and into 300-pound defenders on a regular basis. A uh, bit of an interesting development, a couple of interesting developments with A.J. Brown. One, uh, for the second game in a row, he lost a fumble. So we got to get back to ball security practices with A.J. Brown, a little too casual with the ball. And this game, he was stripped by Rudy Ford, stealing in at the most important position in football, playmaking safety, uh, doing well, filling in for Darnell Savage there. Um, the other development with A.J. Brown is for the first seven games of the season, A.J. Brown was the new toy in town, the new acquisition, the guy, they, they the new shiny toy they want to show off. A.J. Brown for the first seven games this year averaged nine targets a game. For the last four games, he's under six targets a game. So I, I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know why his targets have gone down by, you know, 35 or so percent. But it's interesting to see that Brown is less involved in the offense lately. And may, maybe that is a factor in why he's fumbling. He's trying to make too much of a play because he's seeing fewer passes come his way. I don't, I don't know if that's by design. I don't know if the other team is taking away A.J. Brown. I have a hard time believing that a team can do that. Uh, to this level, but it, it's interesting to see Brown get used less in this offense recently, and I'm just 
curious to see if that continues uh, when you go and play a team like the Titans, who has uh, another team with injuries at corner uh, and uh, matchups that you can take advantage of if you're a Philadelphia. Do you go back to using A.J. Brown even when your running game is flowing the way it was in this game? Uh, You talked about Chauncey Gardner-Johnson having a great season at the most important position in football. Uh, You got to be concerned that he's injured. And yes, Blankenship did come in and have an impressive interception. It looked like he actually baited Aaron Rodgers into that that pick. That wasn't just a luck interception off of a deflection or something. He actually made a good play there. But uh, Blankenship also took a terrible angle on the Christian Watson touchdown. So... Uh, you get good and bad when you start throwing new guys in there, new guys with uh, little experience. So you got to worry about that if you're the Eagles. Uh, again, the holes in the defensive fronts are still showing. You're talking about the Packers and their ability to run the ball effectively in this game. Uh, and Dominican Sue, Linval Joseph, these guys were active for this game. They were in the game at times. Uh, this team still needs help on the defensive interior. This team still... They could really, really use someone they like Jordan Love. There's, I mean, Jordan Davis, excuse me. A lot of, a lot of Jordans going on in this game. Uh, but uh, for now, they got to work with what they got. They got to figure it out. So maybe the old guys come through on the defensive line for them. I have no expectations for them, but we'll see. Uh, as I mentioned before, Christian Watson with another touchdown catch in this game. He's up to six touchdowns in his last three games. And again, six touchdowns on 12 catches. So he continues to not have great volume, but continues to have a great highlight to catch ratio. So he's doing well there. But uh, in a game that should have been all about the Eagles and moving to 10 and one and get ready for their showdown with the Titans next week, the overlying headline of this game, of course, is the injury to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, for those who missed it, Aaron Rodgers got twisted in a kind of a funny way, ended up hurting his uh, rib cartilage or, hurting his oblique or something along the side of his body. Uh, he came back after the injury for another possession, but he was wincing and in pain every time he attempted to throw a pass, even if it was a two-yard screen pass or something. So uh, Rodgers could not finish the game, and you got the season. Jordan Love, uh, I am on the record, so I will say again, I am not high on Jordan Love. I've never been high on Jordan Love, going back to his college days at Utah State. Uh, that said, Love looked more confident in this game than he has ever on an NFL field. As far as I'm concerned, that includes when I've watched him in the preseason, uh, love threw some sharp passes in this game. He had a couple passes that were a little bit off the mark, but still very much catchable. Uh, and the Packers receivers did come down with those catches. The offense moved well and limited work with Jordan love. I have no idea what the quarterback situation is for green Bay next week. Uh, there's certainly a chance that Rodgers is too hurt to play and that the door will be open for Jordan Love to make an impression. Again, I once again caution, let's let the sample size get bigger. I've, I've seen a lot of people say, well, Jordan Love looked great. The Packers need to move on. The Packers need to move on. Let me see more than a handful of passes before I decide that Jordan Love is the guy because uh, this is, I think, year four for Jordan Love. We're, we're getting close to having to need to know and answers at least the third year for love. Uh, we need we need to know the answer. Love, uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was the third year because because they talked about uh, Jordan Love was drafted over Jalen Hurts, ironically enough. Um, yeah, but Jordan Love, I need to see way more than this. This was a good start, but I need to see way more. But before.
I just can't ignore what I've seen now for three years and say one second half of a game where you had to come in and play from behind against the team that's shorthanded and kind of playing a little soft defensively uh, is enough to tell me that Jordan loves the guy moving forward. But uh, that's going to be the big question all week. Will Aaron Rodgers play? Should the team move on to Jordan Love? So I expect to see that all week. And unfortunately, the Packers kind of overshadowed the Eagles, even though the Eagles are the 10 and one team here. And now we've reached a part of the show where we get into our kind of live in the moment reaction to Monday night football. Uh, this Monday night, the Pittsburgh Steelers knock off the Indianapolis Colts 24 17. And, you know, the Colts got to be hyped for a week. You know, they, they beat, beat my Raiders in Jeff Saturday's debut. And all of a sudden, Jeff Saturday's a legit coach. And everybody who was questioned the hire doesn't know what they're talking about. And the Colts are going to move on and go forth and prosper and all this other stuff. Again, this is why you don't take one-game samples and start trying to run with it. Uh, just because there's a narrative that you want to be uh, portrayed out there. Uh, the Colts are back to looking like the Colts. This is a kind of game that, especially with the Titans lost, you, you know you're not going to get a wild card if you're Indianapolis. The only path that you have to the playoffs is to somehow miraculously catch the Titans. And you could not take advantage of hosting the Steelers on a weekend where the Titans gave you the loss that you needed. And that this, this to me, you know, I said this when Green Bay lost to Detroit. I felt like that was kind of the, the last straw to, to break any chance at a miracle run. It feels like this is the loss that'll break the run for the Colts. Because if you can't beat the Steelers at home uh, in a must-win situation, then how can you be expected to go and, I don't know, beat Dallas on the road next week or something like that? Uh, so the Colts look just about done. Uh, they had a weird approach to the beginning of this game. It seemed like for the first quarter, almost quarter and a half, they forgot Jonathan Taylor was on the team. And I'm, I'm sorry, I wasn't the biggest fan of prime Matt Ryan, but Matt Ryan now, I'm, I'm trying to hide him as much as possible. So I'm not coming out throwing if I'm the Colts, but that was their approach tonight. Uh, not surprisingly, Matt Ryan had another multiple turnover game. Uh, that's just what he does now. He has 14 turnovers on the season, despite the fact that he was benched at one point. So who knows what that total would be uh, that he just played in games all year long. But, uh, you know, the Colts, they they started out slow. Again, started out throwing the ball. And as a result, fell into a 16-3 deficit. The Steelers certainly ran the ball uh, to start the game. And Najee Harris looked, continued to look spry, but then he got hurt. Uh, Benny Snell Jr. came in. They they had to switched around with different running backs. They went with Anthony McFarland for a bit, but settled on Benny Snell Jr. And Snell uh, played nicely in this game. We've seen Snell have moments where he's filled in and and, and been effective. Uh, he's never been able to su sustain it, but uh, tonight was one of those good nights for Snell. So uh, the Steelers will gladly take that. Uh, the Steelers looked like they could have ran away with this game for a while. But uh, to start the second half, there was an explosive kickoff return uh, that got the Colts to immediately the red zone to start the second half. And from there, the Colts were able to score and get back in the game. The Colts had another possession, but they kicked a field goal, got an offsides penalty on the Steelers, took points off the board, which I'm not really mad they did, that they did that. I know they preach, don't take points off the board. I thought it was a good move, but Matt Ryan fumbles, uh, another botched handoff situation. And so they get nothing out of that possession when they 
had three points. Again, I don't blame coaching on that. You got to be able to execute a handoff, uh, especially if you're a quarterback that's not going to keep the ball. This is not a kind of you know read option and Matt Ryan's going to take off type of thing. So just just hand the ball off. Uh, but the Colts were able to force a three and out and then come right back and get a touchdown, take the lead. Uh, the Steelers able to bounce back and get a go-ahead touchdown. Again, Benny Snell getting the job done. Uh, they convert the two-point conversion to, to take a 24-17 lead, and, and then they're able to close the game out, even though they let the Colts get a little farther down the field than you'd like on that last possession. But uh, um, eventually, the Steelers were able to close this one out and win the game. I thought at first on that fourth down play that they would call a helmet-to-helmet hit on Paris Campbell. Uh, Paris Campbell Jr., uh, Mika Fitzpatrick came over with kind of a nasty hit to end the game, uh, but they didn't call it. I was, again, surprised that they didn't. I'm not mad that they didn't. I was just surprised. But uh, the Colts come up short uh, with a golden opportunity to make up a little bit of ground in the AFC South. And like I said, I think this is kind of the blow that the Colts couldn't afford uh, for their last gas effort to make it to the postseason. So uh, uh, Jeff Saturday, not not the, the world's greatest genius quite yet. Mike Tomlin somehow, some way finds a way uh, with the team that should be at this point down in the dumps. They they still find a way to claw and scratch and pick up a win on Monday Night Football. So it's good for the Steelers, uh, both these teams now with very similar records. So neither team is going anywhere, but. Uh, at least for one night, the Steelers can feel good about the performance they put on for national television. Yeah, this game had a weird start to it. Um, the Steelers were just moving the ball back and forth down the field. Um, only got field goals, which it wasn't surprising. Um, then Najee Harris gets hurt, and it looks like that was an oblique or you know core injury, which is not good. Um, so we'll see what you know, that is going to come about because losing him will not be good for this offense. Even though, like you said, Snell and Anthony McFarlane both had decent games. Uh, they were both running hard, both getting positive yards. Uh, we've seen that with Snell for many years now where, you know, either, either it's James Conner or someone else, you know, Le'Veon Bell, you know, all these guys getting hurt and him coming in and having tough running games. And he even had 100-yard rushing games here and there, you know. Um, but... Uh, Kenny Pickett actually had a pretty decent game. He sailed a couple throws, which you're going to get with Kenny Pickett. Um, but he didn't have any turnovers, and and he went 20 for 28. You know, like that's they're trying to kind of treat him like a Daniel Jones, Taylor Heineke type of quarterback. Like just manage the game for us. Um, he missed a wide open Pickens. Pickens routed up the safety in the end zone and was wide open, and, and Pickett had an easy touchdown. Just has to put it on the money, but I think when you're a rookie quarterback, a lot of times you're nervous in the red zone. You don't want to throw the pick. You don't want to have the turnover. You know, you, you're like, I'm just going to put it where my guy can get it. Um, but on that one, Pick, Pickens just had him. He just had his guy beat and was wide open. Um, and, and Pickens is clearly becoming Pickett's number one guy. Um, the Steelers have a lot of playmakers. I'm interested to see what next year holds for them because um, this defense, when healthy, is a good defense. And T.J. Watt obviously runs that uh, defensive line. But, you know, some of their more important guys are getting older. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they can do next year. Um, 
I, yeah, I, I don't know how Tomlin keeps getting W's out of out of his teams. This team isn't good, but they do have playmakers on offense. They got playmakers on defense. So, like I said, it'll be interesting next year what this kind of season kind of holds for them. Um, you know, I like Pickens. He's still raw. He still, you know, makes mistakes, um, but I like him a lot as a quarterback. I mean, as a wide receiver, Pickett has shown that he can make some throws here and there. Um, again, I'm not, I'm not in love with Pickett. I didn't think he was going, I didn't have him rated that high coming out of college. So be, we'll, we'll see what happens with more years under his belt, but, um, they got playback. I like Najee Harris. I like Pickens. I like Deontay Johnson. I like Fryermuth. you know, at the tight end position. Um, I like everyone around the team besides the offensive line is okay. I'm not a fan of the quarterback. But I kind of like everybody else around the team. You know, they they have playmakers that could do something if they have someone that can get them the ball. Um, and like I said, with the defense, with T.J. Watt out there and Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, you they just need some corners, um, and and some linebackers. And that team, that defense is gonna be good again. Um, they pressured Matt Ryan on almost fifty percent of his dropbacks. It's the highest pressure rate in a single game in the NFL this season. Not going to win a lot of games when you don't win the turnover ratio and when your quarterback is being pressured on 50% of their dropbacks. So, um, again, it just wasn't... The Colts played good special teams uh, besides the blocked field goal. Uh, They had like 240 yards of returns on kickoffs. Um, So they had good field position to start the game, but as Julius talked about, the fumbled handoff to Jonathan Taylor, who was running into the end zone untouched, so that would have been a touchdown. Um, and the pick that Matt Ryan threw, just giving the Steelers good field position and not scoring in the red zone, you're not going to win lots of games. And essentially, this has ended the Colts' season. Um, I'm rooting for Pittsburgh to to almost win out and and give uh, Tomlin the winning winning record. Uh, to keep that intact, I don't think it's going to happen. That means they can only lose one more game because they would have to go nine and eight. Uh, but you know, something something to root for with the Steelers. I'm not a Steelers fan. Uh, just something to root for. For I'm a Tomlin fan, so just something to root for for Tomlin. Uh, that'd be pretty cool to see if he can if he can get that done. Not likely. Uh, I'm pretty sure they still have the Chiefs on on their on their schedule, um, and I'm pretty sure they still have Ravens and and uh, they played Cincinnati twice already. So. But I just don't – it'd be cool to see. Um, Colts, the season done. Steelers, the season's done. So if I'm them, you know, I don't know if I'm still starting Matt Ryan. I know you gave up a lot for him and you thought your offense was going to be a lot better. But at this point in the season, you know, you might just want to call a lost cause and, and work for a nice draft pick. But who knows? We'll see what happens uh, moving down. But both these teams are out of it. Good W on uh, – on the road for for the Steelers, and they get a Monday night win, and the Colts haven't won a Monday night at home in like 12 years or something. So um, good luck to them. So one thing I wanted to talk about in the NFL, um, for me personally, uh, blowing the whistle, and it wasn't on one particular team, so I didn't do it on our team breakdowns, but it's just the amount of fourth down, going for it on fourth down and two-point conversions this year. I know analytics is a thing, and we're not going to get rid of it in sports, but at some point in time, you need to realize going forward on fourth down, when you have the lead in a game that no one's doing anything on your own 30-yard line, or at the beginning and it's the first quarter, and it's 0-0, 
that's not the time to go for it on fourth down. I just don't understand. I'm not I'm not one of those guys where I'm like it's old school, you can't go for it on fourth down, but the fact that some teams have have been like 6 for 9 on fourth down conversions in a game. Like I just doesn't make sense to me. And like Julia said, you know, the Eagles love to go for it on fourth down. They're always doing this Jalen Hurts, you know, rugby scrum dive up the middle. I just don't understand I just don't understand it. You know, that's your if your quarter if Jalen Hurts goes down, your season's essentially over. You know, I just don't get it. I, I'm not a fan of it, and I'm I'm not trying to sit here and be like, you can't go for it on fourth down. You shouldn't go for two point conversions. But a lot of times, the two point conversions don't even make any sense. Like, I remember we were watching one game, and they went for two, and it wasn't even a good like it. It made no sense. You'd go up by they were going to go up by like five points, or it made no sense to do it. It wasn't like if they did it, they it gave them such a huge advantage. It was just, it makes no sense. Like, some of the times when they're going for it is just, to me, just doesn't make sense. So I'm blowing the whistle on that. Stop doing it. Try and win the game. Stop being stupid. I'm, I'm over it. Yeah, to that point, you know, again, I'm just not understanding, not just some of the times they're going for it on fourth down or going for these conversions, but uh, the plays that, that they call. Uh, you know, I talked about it during some of these games. You know, the Ravens, you're up 6 nothing in the second quarter. The, the other team has shown no ability to score on you, literally. And you give them momentum by going for it at midfield with, again, just a weird play. If it's a play to your strength, then I feel a little better about it. If you're going to use Lamar Jackson's speed or elusiveness or quickness, or if you're going to go to Mark Andrews, if you're going to do something that plays to your strength, I understand it. But the play they call where... Lamar just kind of the half speed ran sideways makes no sense. And again, with the, the Arizona situation, fourth and one at your own 35, I'm sorry, the, the risk is too much. Again, when you're leading and it's the second quarter of the game, I don't understand the risk versus reward there. But if you're going to do it, again, the Chargers have one of the worst, if not the worst, run defense in the league. Why not run the ball at them? Why are we throwing the ball 25, 30 yards down the field at the other team's best defensive player? You know, that that's where I start questioning the decision making. So if you're gonna go for fourth down, have your best play lined up or have something lined up that takes advantage of the other team's weakness. I also feel like in certain situations, two-point conversions should be banned. I'm I'm sorry, Houston scores a touchdown to go to to change the score to 30 to six. Why are we going for two? No. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to see 30 to eight. What, what, what was that accomplishing? Absolutely nothing. To me, if you're not within 16 before you score the touchdown, you shouldn't even be allowed to go for two. So, and you know, it's just stuff like that where I'm like, you know, just let's let's not make the two point conversion more of a gimmick than it is. It, it, it's already a gimmick, to be honest. You know, but it wasn't always a two point conversion. Now people want to talk about three point conversions and all this other nonsense. That way, the team's never out of the game. But I just feel like two point conversion should be reserved for uh, situations where it makes competitive sense for it to even happen. All right, now that wraps up our NFL coverage for Week 12. Um, again, I'm excited because we're getting into the nitty-gritty of the season where each game now has huge playoff implications and is definitely going to make um, this season even more exciting than it already was because the season is very unpredictable. There's a lot of teams that we had no idea would be winning, and there's teams that we thought were going to be good that have been terrible. So I'm excited uh, moving forward for the next coming weeks. Um, and I think we're just going to have a really good time breaking down what's going on and just watching these games. 
Uh, moving into just what's happening in the sports world, uh, I've been really intrigued and interested in the World Cup. Um, USA has a game tomorrow against Iran that they have to win uh, to move on to the knockout stage. I hope they do it. Um, it will be the first time with them moving into the knockout stage in a while. Uh, they played England real tough, which I wasn't expecting. You know, I thought England would come in and, and beat beat USA, uh, but they held firm and got a draw 0-0. Uh, the problem is they've drawn twice, and Iran beat Wales. So now Iran's probably going to play a game of just park the bus and try not to let them score and try and get a draw and move into the knockout stage. So um, I think USA is going to have to take some risks and to try to get you know a goal and, and win because they, they need to win, but Iran doesn't. So a draw, even though USA wouldn't lose any of their matches in group stage, because they didn't get a win and Iran did get a win, uh, Iran would move on by one point. So uh, tomorrow's going to be a real interesting game for USA. Like I said, I hope they pull it out. Uh, if you haven't been watching any of the World Cup, there have been some major upsets in the group stage. Um, there's going to be some heavy hitters that might not make it out of group stage. Um, so it's been real interesting. Uh, it's been a real exciting World Cup so far. Um, and if y'all have never seen... African soccer, uh, Ghana and Senegal and Cameroon have been putting on a show. Uh, it's uh, African soccer is a little bit more fast-paced, uh, a lot of attacking, and a lot of these teams have realized that um, because most of the African games have had two and three and four goals scored in them. And if you haven't seen this one Cameroon player uh, completely uh, ran past the defense, made a nice move on one of the defenders and chipped the goalie. And what that means is he kind of slowed down and then hit it over the goalie's head with like a nice little soft touch, touch hit. So it was it was it was a thing of beauty. Uh, I love the World Cup. I love soccer time. So you know it, it was definitely exciting for me. Uh, but it's been there's been some big upsets. So it's it's been fun to watch. Um, like I said, USA needs to pull out the W um, tomorrow, and I really hope they do because I want to keep watching them play, and I think they have a good enough team to make some noise. I'm not saying they're going to win, but uh, I would like to just see them make it to the group stage. Appreciate the uh, thorough recap of what's gone on in the World Cup so far. Uh, Patrick is definitely more in tune with the World Cup than I am at this point. I plan to kind of join in once the knockout stage is established. Uh, the thing about pool play for me, and again, I say this as somebody who is far from the biggest football fan, uh, you know, you see all these upsets and everything, and even in a lot of cases, draws are upsets. And it's exciting for the first game or two, but then you get to the stage we're in now where you get to that third game of pool play. And like Patrick said, now teams are looking at the standings, looking at how many points they've collected over the first two games, uh, looking at the results they need to advance to the knockout stage, and it completely affects how the games are played. And now you got teams playing for draws and playing for point differential and all this other stuff, and, and that's that's the part that kind of ruins group play for me, to be honest. And this is just this is just personal opinion. I'm not uh, telling anybody to to think differently. I, I recognize that soccer or football is the world sport, so uh, there should be plenty of fandom for it, plenty of excitement for the World Cup. I'm still adjusting to the fact that there's a World Cup after Thanksgiving. It's a little weird to me, but. Yeah, that's, that's the one thing I've not liked about pool play is the fact that you do have the results of the first two games greatly impact the approach teams have for the third game. I wish there was a different way to do it, but I understand why it's the way it is. 
Uh, with that said, I'll get into college football. I was really, really looking forward to the Ohio State-Michigan game this weekend. And for a half, it was everything I could ask for. Back and forth, both teams making big plays, a lot of suspense, a lot of drama. I don't know what happened to Ohio State in the second half of this game. I mean, all of a sudden, it looked as if they didn't belong in the same field as Michigan on either side of the ball. Uh, this game completely destroyed the Heisman hopes for a C.J. Stroud, in my opinion. Uh, this was the signature moment that he needed, and he didn't come through. wasn't all his fault, but he sure didn't shine the way I'd like to see him shine. Uh, again, in what's going to be a signature game to determine which of these teams is going to make the college football playoff, because I don't think the committee wants multiple Big Ten teams in there. Uh, so now you look at a situation where Michigan gets the statement win in a, in a game where they had to re rely on guys other than Blake Corn to come through for them. So uh, a big win for Michigan. Michigan now goes to the Big Ten championship. It's, it's hard to envision a scenario where they lose to Purdue. Uh, so Michigan has to feel really good about their playoff chances. Uh, same with uh, Georgia, of course. They went and took care of business. Uh, got off to a bit of a slow start against Georgia Tech for whatever reason, but uh, there was never a question of who's going to win that game. In my mind, Georgia Tech just doesn't have the, the the players to generate any consistent offense against that Georgia defense. So uh, Georgia moves on, and you know they'll see LSU. Uh, LSU's fresh off of a loss, uh, so that that kind of knocks the idea that you're going to have Georgia and LSU both make the playoff. LSU's out, so we'll see how motivated they are and how motivated the SEC is now because the SEC, it's not in their best interest for LSU to beat Georgia, so you got to feel that Georgia's got a good chance to, to win that championship. Uh, TCU able to remain undefeated, an easy win over an overmatched Iowa State. Uh, so now TCU gets to the Big 12 championship. I'll be rooting heavily for TCU because – uh, with especially with Alabama sitting there on the brink. I, I just don't want to see Alabama backdoor their way into a playoff appearance when they don't even qualify for their own conference championship. So hopefully TCU wins and hopefully USC wins. USC uh, with a big win over Notre Dame during rivalry weekend. Uh, unlike C.J. Stroud, Caleb Williams did have the kind of game that puts you in the driver's seat for the Heisman Trophy. I think if Caleb Williams has a big game in the Pac-12 championship going up against Utah. By the way, Oregon blowing their shot uh, at the Pac-12 championship with a loss to Oregon State. That that had to sting. Um, but yeah, Caleb Williams, if he can have a big game against Utah and have that signature type of performance, I, I think you're looking at him as more than likely the Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, so those are going to be your, your four teams for now, uh, Georgia, Ohio State, TCU, and USC in some order. I think they might even have USC jump TCU, even though TCU is undefeated, uh, just because USC have more of a signature win. But either way, those are going to be your four teams going into conference championship weekend. That's going to be a lot of excitement. Again, I'm rooting for the teams that are already in the, the big four, the four spots for the playoffs to stay in there. I don't want to see Alabama backdoor their way in and have a cheap route to, to get to the playoff again. So uh, that that's where I stand. And the big news of the weekend, of course, for me, NC State with the win over North Carolina, it, it almost makes the season of disappointment worth it. To be able to beat North Carolina without Devin Leary uh, to ruin any chance, 
if there was a backdoor way for Drake May to jump into the Heisman conversation, that's out the window with NC State's win and their performance against him. So I'm just glad to see it all the way around. Go Wolfpack. Uh, fun time for us. And oh, by the way, Clemson, what happened to you guys? So 31-30 lost to South Carolina. So just in case there was any remote thought that the ACC would have representation in the college football playoff, that is way out the window. The ACC may not have representation anywhere in the top 15 at this point with the Clemson loss to South Carolina. So uh, a wild weekend there. Uh, four teams seem to be pretty set for now for the college football playoff. Again, I hope it stays that way. And just for icing on the cake, because it wasn't just enough for NC State to beat North Carolina in football, but to see North Carolina in men's basketball be ranked number one and then have to lose two games in one week and have to be humbled and go from first in the rankings to 18th, I just love to see it. I love to see a quadruple overtime loss to Alabama. Again, I, I don't mind if the Alabama basketball team wins, especially against the Tar Heels. So it's just it's just fun to see them panic. North Carolina's still going to be good. Don't get me wrong. They still got Armando Baycott. They still got players on that team. Uh, but it was just good. It was good to see those guys take some humble pie early in the season. They'll be back, but for one week, I get to gloat about North Carolina failing in football and basketball. You'd love to see it. Yeah, just picking up the college football talk, um, you know, I I agree with you. I don't want Alabama to somehow sneak back into the playoffs. Um, could they? Yeah. Uh, I don't see them going ahead of Ohio State uh, since Ohio State has one loss and Alabama has two, and Ohio State's not making the championship game, and either is Alabama. But we'll find out tomorrow when those playoff stat standings come out. Um, I'd be really disappointed if, you know, the two and three team played each other and one of them has to lose. You can't can't tie. Um, and, and they would put a two loss team above a team who lost to the number two. Well, to the number three ranked team. Um, so that would be that would be kind of sad, in my opinion. Um, what would really screw up college football, and I kind of want to see it because I love chaos when it comes to where does the playoff committee stand. I want to see what happens if Georgia randomly loses to LSU. I don't think it's going to happen, but what happens if they lose? TCU can't lose or they're not, or they're not making it, so TCU has to win. Yep. But what would happen if USC loses, Georgia loses, you know what I mean? What are you going to do with all those teams now? Because now you have all these one-loss teams. Michigan loses in the championship to Purdue, like you said, right? Um, which mm -hmm. Purdue doesn't have their starting quarterback, so they're not going to win. But I'm just saying, if for some reason the college football gods were like, guess what? Georgia loses, Michigan loses, TCU wins, and USC loses. What happens? <laughs> like, what happens, right? Like, that's that's the scenario I want to see. Like, what's going to happen? Um It'd be complete chaos. And this is why everyone's going to say they need to expand the playoffs. They need to expand the playoffs. But I don't need to see Alabama lost twice this year. And if Texas's starting quarterback doesn't get hurt in that game, they probably have three losses on their record. I think that needs to be taken into consideration. Mm -hmm. um, so, again, I think Ohio State, in my opinion, should be ranked higher than Alabama going into this playoff standings. Uh, I would even have Ohio State ranked higher than USC, in my opinion. Uh, the only team Ohio State has lost to is Michigan, and Michigan's undefeated. So, 
Um, I know that's not going to be popular opinion for a lot of people, but the Pac-12 is not as good as the Big Ten. Um, I understand that there's a lot of people that are ranked right now. Like I know Utah and Oregon was ranked, and all these people were ranked, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think the top of the Big Ten is a stronger conference than the top of the Pac-12, in my opinion, and that's why I would have Ohio State ranked higher than um, USC. And also, the Ohio State loss, even though the score looked bad, it was competitive until the fourth quarter, and then Michigan just hit three huge plays to get touchdowns. Um, So it wasn't like it was a blowout, you know, from start to finish. It was very competitive until that fourth quarter. So, I don't know. This is why they have a playoff committee, supposedly. They're supposed to take all this stuff into consideration. But, like I said, we'll find out tomorrow uh, whenever they come out with the rankings and see where everyone stands. Um, That wraps it up up for us this week. Um, As always, please follow us at 2Guys4BallsPodcast. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Um, And if you have any questions... And you want anything to discuss us to discuss on the uh, podcast? Just reach out to us. And as always, Julius and I appreciate y'all listening. Thank you for listening to the two guys four balls podcast.